Hey guys, Len here. As much as I'm fired up over this week being the Masters week and basically Tiger Woods week, I am super fired up because news alert, I'm heading to the Golf Mania store soon to get fitted for a brand new driver. They got all the heads there. Uh, more importantly, they got all the shafts there, which to me makes the, the biggest difference. I'm going to go see Dan Mott, Corey Muggridge in there, the swing doctor, and they're going to fit me for the newest tech. So um, I'm super excited about that. The other thing that I'm going to do while I'm in there is I'm going to get my irons checked out. Uh, if you've never had this done before, I'd highly suggest it because if you like me and you played sim golf all winter or um, you just haven't had it done in a few years, get the lies checked out. You'd kind of be surprised at how uh, you know a few degrees here or there can really affect your shots. So check them out. Uh, golf Mania Store, you can reach them at 902-940-7552. Or email them at golfmaniapei at gmail.com. I am super fired up for a new driver, baby. From my beautiful basement in Charlottetown, PEI, Golf Mania proudly presents the Island Green Podcast. Welcome everyone, Nick Frid here alongside my co-host, the Honorable Sir Len Curry, here to bring you all the golf news you need. Let's head right out to the action. That is by far the best intro you've done in 42 episodes of the Island Green. Uh, oh my geez. I had to mute myself because I was laughing so hard. Hi, buddy. Uh, what's right, going welcome. On? Welcome to uh, what's going on. That was the best part of the day because if you've looked outside today at any point, it has been depressing. It is snowing and not just snowing, man. That is one of the worst storms we've had this winter out there yeah. right now. We might be the Island Green Jinx last week talking about we're golfing next week and uh and now we're under a my blower's put away taken apart the gas is out of the tank and uh so i'm shoveling tonight well we got a little bit of a, a breaking news there last week um um uh what's connor he, he messaged me he's like yeah you know what we're aiming for april 15th but so you know you can announce that or you can let people know and i said yeah i mean that sounds great and then this happened so i haven't talked to him since um but uh anyway you hear that dinging? Is that me? You? Anyway, the only thing that pulled me through today was constant updates from Augusta, watching Tiger uh, play, well, hit balls, play in the practice round. I mean, I sent out a tweet there, like the crowd looked like a Sunday afternoon. I legit didn't know. I, okay, so it, it just came across Twitter like a couple hours ago, or Twitter or internet, whatever, social feed. I. I did not know that was today's round. I actually thought that somebody posted a picture from like years back or whatever. It's that it's was today. jammed. There's thousands of people. Like I was there at, you know, during the, like, I know what the crowds are like on practice rounds. And even with Tiger, I followed him for, for a round two. It was, it was nothing like that. That's in bananas. Crazy. I think, I think it's you know, packed obviously, but the fact could be he might not play. So the only time they could see him this week was to get practice round tickets. Ooh, that's a good point. But I would, what, what percentage would you say he's going to play? Percentage after watching today or before this week happened? No, no. Just after, I mean, I don't know. 95. Yeah. Right. I'm the same way. There, yeah. There's no way he's not playing. No, like, he doesn't, he doesn't go do all that. And then Wednesday night or Thursday morning, go, you know what? I'm good. You know what? I'm good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for getting all our hopes up. But uh, if he does, so if he plays, yep. I've got a few wagers on him. I, I put one down too. I got him I, at plus 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, if he wins, I'm like five, 6,000 large. Um, Cause I've got him to win like 50 bucks. I think I got like $75 on him just to win. And then top five is a whole different bet. But there was a sucker bet, in my opinion. I don't know. I think it's a sucker bet. Will he make the cut? And he was the best odds to not make the cut at 2.2. I don't know what that means in the in the whatever, but um, basically bet 100 for a 220 return. He's making the cut. That's what I think, too. Um, and I don't usually bet. Like, I, found, I sound like a baller here betting hundies and stuff, but no, no, no. That's not, this is a special occasion. Usually it's like my $20 bet or $5 bet. But anyway, this one's, this one's a big one. How do you think the players feel that like two weeks ago before Tiger had even gone to Augusta done anything, he was still playing, uh, paying plus 5,000 and guys that had been entered for like weeks, like we're playing, paying plus 6,500 and plus yeah, 7,500 yeah, and yeah. stuff. It was weird how the, how the odds went actually, because I was kind of following them. And, and I first put my, my big bet, I will say um, when he was at 67 to one. So I put $50 on him to win like 33, 25 or something like that. And then a week later, there's all these rumors that he's going to play for sure. Cause the way I was looking at it, if he doesn't play, I get that money back. So what the hell is the difference? But um, it, then all of a sudden it was like 51 to one. And then I went in two days ago and it was 61 to one anyway. So it's been fluctuating all over the place, but again, if he doesn't play, it's a void bet and it gets back to you anyway. So get your bets um, in now folks. Yeah. Cause the, the numbers are going to, fluctuate uh once he tees it off tees it up on thursday but he i think there was one cool bet out there which it was for tiger to be the first round leader and it was massive because he's a notorious slow starter at augusta anyway yeah and with all the unknowns this year like it was i don't see him leading after the first round anyway like i don't think he's ever let up the first round on any of his victories there so but it was it was paying real big but i put uh I think I put 20 bucks on him to win. And I picked three or four other guys kind of Did long you? shots to win. Yeah. Lee Westwood. I can't, um, I, you know what I was looking at, I was thinking about today. I don't even want to choose. I don't even want to, I haven't even looked at like, I'm in a bunch of big golf pools and stuff. I haven't even looked at the, like at anyone else. Like he's just stolen all the spotlight. Give him the pip for 2022 and let's move on. So here's another question. Yeah. Like the masters is notorious for their TV coverage. Like, they don't come on the air until they come on the air. Yeah. You think if Tiger goes early, late, so say Thursday, early Friday, late, do you think they come on for their coverage early because he's playing or they think they stick to their guns and say, no, we're, we'll come on at three o'clock. And the only time you can see Tiger would be if you have the app. And I think maybe some. Yeah. I, I thought they changed it. I, I, I really, I haven't looked into it. God, nice podcast host. We haven't even looked into the what we're talking it's a, about. Yeah, it's just the Masters. I thought uh, I thought that they changed it now, and there's a lot more like coverage there over the you, course. They, of the... they do the feature groups on the app. They do live from Amen Corner and stuff. So I guess if, if he might be in a feature group, I don't know yeah. if they put him in one or they stick him out with a couple uh, <laughs> a couple of hay shakers there. But I I yeah. think they'll obviously I think he'll be in a feature group, so you'll get to follow them, but I just figured maybe they'd come on the coverage early. That's the only thing about masters weekend, right? You're sitting around all day, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. To see the leaders tee off at three o'clock and you can't watch the golf. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I know it's the coverage typically sucks. I just thought it got, it's gotten better over the last little while, but um, they did that thing last year where you could see every person's shot for the whole tournament. I think you remember that last year, like you could go back and watch every single shot. Corey Connors hit for all four rounds. It maybe say he's on hole 12. It takes a minute to load, but and then you could go see hole 11 and back like the whole day. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I hopefully, hopefully they do that. Cause uh, I mean, this would be the most watched, you know, event in sports uh, history. Maybe uh, not, but man, oh man. We got a great Crazy. guest coming on today. Uh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. Dave Williamson from Nova Scotia. I'm not sure. Well, a lot of guys would be familiar with him. I mean, he's been in golf for 20 years now. He's had some, well, lots of amateur success, uh, some PGA Tour Canada, a little stint there for two seasons. And uh, yeah, I, listen, I'll go out on a limb here and just say, like, for, for most folks that aren't in the competitive golf realm, they're not they're not going to know who this gentleman is. Uh, obviously, right. he's you know from Nova Scotia, and that's where he's sort of done all of his golfing. If you lived in Nova Scotia and you never heard of him and you played competitive golf, then you're living under a rock, because like obviously one of the best golfers to come out of Nova Scotia. But I first met him actually, ironically, here playing at the I think Chamber Tournament at Fox Meadow, and he was on number six, and it was the first time that I've ever experienced this. Um, he was he was standing there and of course i you know go up and and he's got a camera set up and he's basically saying you know hey guys and he was working for for the life of me it's like morgan stanley or something it's not that but it's something like that and um anyway he's he's standing and he and he says hey guys uh it's going to be a free lesson um where i'm going to record your video and uh you know going to give you my card if you email me i'm going to give you some feedback on your swing and blah blah, blah. and i thought that's brilliant like a really brilliant idea. And um, anyway, so he recorded my swing and and we talked for a little bit. And I think he had actually heard of the podcast, which was also mind blowing. But anyway, he we got to got to talk and he reached out there not that long ago. And um, he's sort of rekindling his desire and the love that we all share about golf. And um, anyway, and and we we're pumped to talk about him. I mean, talk with him. He was, you know what? The best part about this is he's a hell of a storyteller. He awesome, remembers everything storyteller. So it's, it's an awesome, awesome interviews. I will say one of probably one of the best interviews like we've had as far as laughs and stories and all of that. I mean, he starts off with some zingers on Anthony and you know, that's just good. That's just good material. Did, uh, did you get any feedback about the Anthony interview? Yeah. Yeah, I did actually. And um, I, I got a lot and because as expected, everybody listened to it. And uh, thanks again for, you know, Anthony for coming on. Um, I did, you know, some, I got, People loved it. A lot of people wanted to hear more. So, you know, Anthony, I know you're listening to this probably. <laughs> Next time you come on, bud, you're yeah. going to let her loose. You're going to let her let her fly or else you're not getting the invite. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got the same but, feedback. A lot of people reached out and said, no, good job. I mean, yeah. lots of cool stories, but, you know, they wish maybe elaborated on a few of the, the ah, a few of them, but listen, ones, I, you know what the best part was. And, and as I told, you know, we, we talked about it before. It's like, he was nervous, right? So he's nervous on the podcast and he, but as it went on, they got more and more comfortable and people that were listening, I was wondering if it was going to relay into sort of when people are listening, cause we could tell we were in the room with them, but did it sort of um, convert it with the podcast as he went on and, and he did. So anyway, I had, I'm, I, I I had one uh, listener reach out and actually let me know a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool fact there. So in the past, we've talked about this Belvedere Rose Bowl team versus 
everybody else. We mentioned it before and it came up when we were talking with Anthony there. And uh, Robbie Yunker reached out to me and said there actually used to be back in the early 90s, there was an event called the Bell Isle. Um, so Robbie Yunker and Robbie Shaw kind of took the lead for Team PEI. And I believe that he said Roddy Willis took the took the reins for Team Belvedere and they played uh, they, they played that kind of match. Oh, no way. Yeah. And he said he's got a bunch of the stats and a bunch of the information from those events on some disk drive. So he's going to dig them up for me here. And I was like, man, I want, I'd love to get a hold of some of, if you got pictures or, you know, stats on who played who and who was on the teams and stuff. So he's going to dig that stuff up for us. I'm telling you, man, I, I really do think that there is, if someone's out there and wants to do a real good service, get all of the records of all of these PEIGA events and just, put them on a website, you know, or, or like, and additionally, you could put stories, right? Like put these legendary, legendary stories, put them to, you know, digital pe- pen to paper. Right. And, and so that they're there and, and they have them. And I, I would love nothing more now being such a golf nut and kind of late in my life, as far as competitively, I would love to look back at some of these guys whom have played their whole, you know, lives. And I know now like, and see where they finished in some of these tournaments and stuff. Right. Like, yeah, I'd love to see a so picture cool. of like Tim with hair. Or yeah. well, we're not that young. We're not that that young, but we play jokes. <laughs> he, he the picture would come from one of those guys that goes under the curtain and has a little puff of smoke come up from the uh the flash bulb. I you know what? I'm so I apologize to everyone out there that's enduring this winter snowstorm that we were recording on monday night um it's my fault um i i went and hit balls outside yesterday and um you know i jinxed everybody and i do apologize um it was wonderful it was it was very good um and i but i do apologize because that's obviously my fault where'd you go I was just out in the yard just kind of chipping around and uh there's a field over over yonder that i that i went to but um, you know, I just wanted to, I just took a couple of wedges and, uh, just kind of chipping around. I'm trying to, trying to get both hands on the club. <laughs> no time. April, April 4th, you got, uh, well, if Avondale stays on track, you got 11 days. Oh yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not too worried. Actually, you know what? Um, kind of, a, a Steve Gamester and I both registered, for the New Brunswick mid mid master or whatever it is. Um, okay. So we're going to take a road trip over there to Mactaquack. I've never played it, which might not be a good thing to go over there and play it for your first time in a tournament, but um, maybe we'll get over for a practice round first. Oh no, it's beautiful up there. I bet. It sounds like it's, it's, it's awesome. And I think uh, Dave was actually, he mentions Mactaquack in there um, in his interview. So um but what was interesting is that uh, Stephen and I were, were kind of, you know, we both like to play at tournaments and we both like to, and I love this stuff, right? Like Gamester and I, like he's, he's been playing tournaments forever, um, but relatively new to me. So I love this stuff and get, kind of getting involved and seeing what tournaments to play and all of this. And we were looking at the qualif- like the, the information sheet and it, this New Brunswick Am, it only takes three guys from off island. The rest have to, I think it's if they're, if it doesn't fill with, um new brunswick folks so of course steven and i this morning up at like you know 8 30 or whatever refresh 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 and i was like the first person registered all the way through he was like number two or three or something like that so anyway we got we got registered we're hardcore 
It's like me trying to get my kids registered for summer camps. It's a dog fight. You Is it really? Oh, man, if if it goes live at eight o'clock, if you're not on there by eight oh three, you probably don't get a week in the camps. Oh, my goodness. Where, where are these camps? Holland, uh, Holland College, yep, Kane, yeah. Kane, Kane like camps. UPEI and stuff. Do they do them yep. too? Or yeah, yeah, UPEI, uh, uh, West Royalty day camp, same thing. If you're not, you know, West Royalty might be, you have 20 minutes, but Kane's camps, if you're not on there in five minutes, you're probably not getting a week. Oh, and, and we we kind of glaze over this talking about tournaments and registration and stuff, but yeah, uh, yeah we've got three uh, actually, all of the I shouldn't say all, I think four or five of the PEIGA events are open for registration now. Um, I don't think it was the same rush for registrations as it was for uh, for New Brunswick, but uh, New Brunswick doesn't have as many PEIG like uh, sorry doesn't have as many uh, amateur golf events, so mm -hmm. it's there's no wonder that they're gonna have like a mass uh, uh, what do you call it registration that everybody kind of get jumps on and gets it. But um, yeah, I registered for the the Crowbush one, the one day, um, the amateur, and. I did three, I think, of the four that were open. What was the other one? Can't remember. I know Stanhope's not open yet. No, Stanhope's open. A lot, yeah, like Stanhope's not open yet. Um, I don't think Country View's open yet. Um, there, there's a there's a few of them, but they're starting. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. cool. So if you haven't, yeah. if you're looking to go into one, any of these tournaments or whatever, um, head on to the uh, PEIGA website and um, and register because uh, or IslandGreenPod.ca. Absolutely. I should. Yeah. I mean, geez, we got them all right there. Pay attention, folks. You know what? We'll send those links out, actually. God. We got uh, big. They're happening so quick. Yeah. We got big news coming down the pipeline for the stand up open. Nothing uh, will be revealed right yet, but I will let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Big news. Um, I played my final uh, sim round today. Oh yeah. Okay. So set the stage a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, what do you call it? Little, little scram uh, match play tournament. Was it yeah, 32 so guys? Yeah, it is 32 guys, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, we play in a winter skins league and um, the top 32 guys, I guess, are the first 32 to enter. Um, mm. We're doing a little round yeah. robin match play, single elimination, no handicaps. And I went up against uh, Johnny Walsh today. One it's of the nice. owners. At least I think he was an owner. Maybe he's not anymore, but. Yeah, he is. Yep. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, nice going against guy in his home on a, we'll call it his home track. Yeah. Um, and we played Glen Abbey out yep. of uh, the beautiful Oakville, yep. Ontario. Yep. Uh, it was a good match, a little back and forth on the front nine and typical match play moment. I hit it in the trees. So smart Nick said, you know what? Chip back out to the fairway hit it on and make a par and hopefully he makes a par just to have the hole. So I chip out to the fairway and then I hole it from a hundred yards for no, a three. You didn't. No, yep. you didn't. Yeah. So I hole it from a hundred yards for a three. He hits a wedge to 10 feet just outside the gimme circle and then misses a birdie putt. So I, I know well, you deserve the win off that one though. Yeah. You deserve the um, win there. And then uh, on the back, typical match play hole went the other way where I was, I had 10 feet for birdie. He's in no man's land, ends up making a four and I three putted or something like, you know, where you think you have the hole, you think yeah. you're like, okay, this one's done. Yeah. And then, uh, gets ripped out from under you. Yeah. And then I ended up hitting it in the water on one of the holes and lost three and two. Okay. Wow. That's not bad. I mean, three and two, geez. Especially when, when like, what were you guys shooting? Like, where, where would you say you were? Like, we uh, were both good. 
you were both good, eh? Would you I be was, under par or right around par? I was or a couple under. under. Were you? And Johnny was six under. Oh, that's great. That's great news because I'm playing him next. So <laughs> I'm going to get fucking trounced. He had he had three 10 foot putts for Eagle. Awesome. awesome. So missed the circle by a foot on par fives. You know what the, the worst part was? Um, I, I was playing Ashley, uh, Jeff McDowell. We had a great match. We went, went down to 18. I had him. I had him. And then um, I kind of let him back into it. I mean, he had some good shots, had some, there's nothing worse <laughs> when you're playing in the eight foot gimme circle, right. In simulator golf. And he's on the par three and he throws it to like six feet. And you're like, he's got a birdie. So now you're like, well, shit, now I got to <laughs> make birdie yeah. behind him or something. But anyway, it was super fun uh, to play that, to, to play the match play. But we were playing, uh, Pudge was playing, uh, Paul Gormley was playing Kevin Duet. And um, anyway, poor, poor Kevin played great. Didn't stand a chance. Like poor Pudge shot 67 under, I think. And I was just like, what the hell? meanwhile, I'm, <laughs> we were, I think we were both 80 or something so anyway not not our best stuff but super fun to play match play though yeah i i love the uh the eight foot gimme circle when you can see it because when you're chipping and stuff you're just like you know a lot of people say well for years if you're giving a putting lesson you say you know imagine a three foot circle around the hole and try and get into that and uh you know three foot for your next putts makeable but then if you get it outside the three foot. You're like, Oh, I only missed my three foot circle by a foot. So your expectations keep going down. So when there's an eight foot circle and you miss it by two feet, you're like, Oh, that was a good shot. I only missed the eight foot circle by two feet, but it was like a 50 yard chip. So like a 50 yard chip, essentially you should get closer than 12 or 15 feet. But I do like the gimme circle. So when you're chipping, you can kind of see where your line is and where you got to get it to. This actually just rem- reminded me what you were saying about the putting and stuff. Remind me of uh, Brody Ward telling me about we're on the putting green in Belvedere practicing putting, and he's he's a really good putter, and um, which is interesting because he always partners up with Stephen Anderson, who's a, not the best putter. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, he's he was telling me about his like what he was told, and I can't remember who said it. I want to say it was like Faxon or something. Um, said don't bother practicing like 20 footers 30 you know or 50 you know take it to like 10 feet and practice 10 feet hit a couple from 40 feet to get the distance as far as your lagging goes and then go to 10 feet just hit 10 footers don't bother with two footers don't bother with three footers go 10 feet because if you can start nailing all of your 10 footers everything else is going to come you know and you know if you've got 20 feet i mean you don't expect to make these 20 footers but if you're nailing the 10 footers, then you're going to be in a good spot. And for whatever reason, I always remembered that. I don't, I mean, you know, you practice this, that, and the other thing, but um, it was certainly is a, an, an interesting thing to put to, to practice anyway. And I, along that lines too, I remember other people telling me like with that circle, right? Okay. So say you envision this three foot circle around the hole right. and you, and you, you're short by a foot. Well, in your head, you're like, Oh, you know what? That's pretty good. I'm only a foot away from my ex expectation of three feet but i mean that's still from 20 feet you're not you didn't even get it inside four feet yeah if you're going from 20 feet and you you leave it four feet shy that's not exactly a great pat pat in the back moment (laughs) i don't think right but so depending on where you're putting from i think the circle obviously should get smaller um 
but uh, yeah, I never heard that from Faxon before. That is pretty cool to think about. What is your, okay. Getting back to the masters here. So what yeah. is your, what's your favorite part about the masters, right? I mean, I can tell you the least favorite is what we already mentioned, the coverage, you know, generally speaking, yeah. the coverage sucks, but what is, what is your f- most favorite part of the masters? Um, one part I like the most is that every year, you know, the course, you know, the pin locations. So every day of the week, you know, when it comes Sunday and they say, we're heading out to eight, you're like, Oh, perfect. That, that low left pin. I can't wait for someone to hit it right. And it spin it back or on two, when they hit that green where your second shot can hit the front of the green and roll up all the way to the back. And then down to that pins just tucked next to that bunker short, right. I like the consistency every year, you know, kind of where, uh, yeah, you just know where everyone is on the course. That's what I like about it. So did the fall masters kind of drive you nuts because it didn't look the same? A little bit. I mean, aesthetically it looked different. You know, it looked colder. Yeah. The, the course, the course did look a little beat up. It's, it's the fall. So it's not yeah. supposed to look like it did me. Um, but it's going to be so much better in May now than, or sorry, in April than it, than it was. I think it'll be better now. Zach Johnson will still hit the tee, tee ball when he's beside it, but everything else will be consistent. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really can can pinpoint. I mean, I know personally, I know when the Masters weekend is around, I know that our golf courses are opening up. Like It's almost like the start of our season. Um in fact, last year, I think we golfed on April 8th, which is a, which was like masters Saturday or something like that, which was really cool. Um, I, it's really hard to say for me, like what my favorite part is. I definitely love all of the nostalgia and the way that they just stick to t- traditions and, uh, you know, be it the, the prices of all of the, you know, the food and the beer and all that kind of stuff to right down to like the honorary starters um, you know, I, I was watching, we just had it on there, like the 2017, um, the masters was kind of like the highlight show that they make after the tournament's done. And, you know, it was the year right after Arnold Palmer died. So of course you had Jack and Gary player on the, on the tee and, you know, Jack gives the salute to the crowd, like to the sky with his tip of his hat and stuff. And Ricky Fowler's there, you know, watching. And the I forget the name, the guy, the, the announcer's guy's name that that was always on there. Do you remember his name? The the guy that, that like the chairman of Augusta? Oh, okay. No, no. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it, it'll lose me. But his speech about Arnie and everything else, like your tears are in my eyes. And, and you watch and there's Gary Player and Jack Nicholas, you know, wiping tears out of their eyes, you know, and like those kind of moments are, are more, I mean, I don't know, like there, to me, that's the stuff that gets me. That's the stuff that makes it so incredibly special. And like you said, it's at the same spot every year. So it's like, you know, sort of half what to expect, but yet that amp up and the, and the fact that it's the first major of the year, it kind of like, this is the springboard to your PGA tour season. Like it's starting everything before now. It just feels like, you know, silly season, silly season a bit. I mean, the players, even the players was a little bit of a silly season with the weather that they had. Right. So anyway, yeah. One thing I saw this week, it was a really cool video. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was talking to the players about why this week is so different from every other week on tour and what makes it special. And for them, it was so much about, you know, they they had a good time. As much as everyone maybe dislikes Bryson, man, 
when he talks, he's got some really good points. And I listened to his interview about it and he was saying, you know, every week now it's, it's the hoopla around the PGA tour, right? You look at the Scottsdale, we've talked about it multiple times, right? About that kind of for the fan interaction. So this is the only tournament where we can just take it down a level. It's back to old school roots. If you go to a golf tournament now, and like when you guys were at the Honda, or sorry, the Elmer Palmer, and Rory was hitting that shadow of the rough, every single person around him would have had their cell phone out and they were recording it. Yep. At the Masters, yeah. at the Masters, they're watching golf. Yep. The you first. watch everyone. It's so cool when you see everybody's head turn. You see them on the tee. They're all looking at the tee deck. And then as soon as they make strikes it, everybody's head turns simultaneously to look yeah. towards the green. You know what? It, you're so right. And it's the only tournament that, like, being there, you know, they ban cell phones. And everybody knows they ban cell phones. And it's like, at first, you're kind of like, shit, you know, I'd love to go in there and take some pictures of this experience and all that. Well, you know what? Tough titties. You know, like, too bad. You can't. You know what? You could you could you could have bought a practice round and brought in your camera at that stage if you wanted to do that. Um, but you get to go in and experience this, which is so unique and so different. And you're I, I I shouldn't say I shouldn't say it drives you nuts when you see like the pictures behind you know Tiger or whatever at, at, at other tournaments and other pros and they've all got their cell phones up right and they're looking through the action through their screen and it kind of you, as you're watching you're kind of like what a bunch of idiots, you know, pay attention, right? Like get, get out from under your screen. But then when you get there, you're like, I want to, this is so cool. I, I want to record this and look at it again later. But do you, yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like I, there are very few like of Bay Hill. I, I looked at them, you know, a couple of times. And I got a couple swings, but for the most part, I should have just left my damn camera in the pocket, take a couple of pictures of the boys while you're there. And then just watch the damn guy. Have, mem- have the memories in your mind. Well, my mind sucks. So I don't, I, I understand why it goes back to a couple of things that we were saying about journaling and stuff like that, right. Yeah. Writing down some things. Um, to me, my, my journaling is with all the pictures I take. One thing, my knock against the masters mm. is I guess 16 can be climactic. I mean, tigers chipping and stuff. There's been a few incidents where it instances where it is, but to me, 17 and 18 are kind of anticlimactic. I mean, there's not a lot of big swing you know, you don't see a two shot swing on 17 or 18 very often. I mean, if someone's comes to 17 with a two stroke lead, I'm, I'm not saying it's over, but you don't get that. You don't get that finish where it's like a daunting par five or to finish or, uh, you know, 17, a crazy par three or something, you know, it's, it's a good par four, two good par fours, but you don't, you never get, I don't, I've, you never get that climactic finish where i guess phil birdie in 18 there was the the, i was gonna say the sky but i I think um 17 i completely am on board let's let's do something to 17 listen to us like we're the augusta (laughs) superintendents but let's do something there to make it sort of like a risk reward you know or or something along those lines because you're right it's a standard par four for the most part for these guys but 18 having been there and gone back to where that t is and how narrow that shoot is you could not get more narrow it's almost like you're punching out and the but that said they've got it so groomed and so nicely in in all where the trees are like with the pine straw that even if you do hit it in the woods chances are especially on the left side chances are because it happened i think twice or three times last year you got it on the green from the left side if you're if you've got a shot at the green so oh i definitely see your point to you know 16 16's got some drama obviously but um 17 yeah yeah 
but there's always the pressure of winning the masters and the greens, as we know, can be, can be pretty funky. So, so what, what do you think? Do you think like you're trying to figure out how tiger is going to play this weekend, right? This week. And to me, it's a course where experience, as we've seen in years and years and years, experience is so, uh, it trumps everything. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at Freddie couples and he kept competing year after year after year and making cuts after year after year. And Bernard, Bernard Langer almost wins it every year. Right. And, and yeah, it's like, they know the greens, they know the subtleties. So like first time people playing at the masters and stuff like that, not to say they don't have a chance, but if there's an, if there's an advantage, it's going to be with like someone that's been there. Well, look at what happened with, with Bryson. He was hitting it his best. And he was going to go there and overpower the golf course. And they talked about the lines he was going to take on 13 and the lines he was going to take on all these holes. And he, he was just going to, you know, abolish this place with his distance and stuff. And he was terrible that week. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, Par, I, I, I 69. Would, yeah. I would guarantee this week he doesn't take the driver out and try to hit those same lines. He's, he said, I'm going to have to attack this golf course like the veterans do. I got to use, lines off the tee i got to use greens and hit the greens in the right spot and that kind of stuff but like you said they have lengthened it a bit so i mean your guys like freddie and longer they're going to be tougher nowadays because they've had to stretch it out so much but any veteran that's played there multiple times that has the length to somewhat keep up i i think has a chance yeah i mean it all putter right like that 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 uh, that course more than any. I mean, if you're putting it well, um, you're gonna you're gonna do well. All right. Uh, so let's just. Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? No, nothing. Go ahead. I was gonna say. So let's just say you turn it around this year, Len. You win the <laughs> you win the New Brunswick Mid Masters. I love you these exemption, You get an exemption into something in the states. You end up taking that down too. Yeah. 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 I expect to. Yeah. Okay. One day you end up winning the Green Jacket. Okay. I got my got my. Okay. Yeah, slim. What are you? Forty-three. <laughs> I have no idea. Forty-three M. I don't know, but it's getting that M is turning into an L pretty quickly L. as COVID goes on. Um, the following year, yeah. What is what is your master's dinner? Ooh, and we got to go appetizer, main course, dessert. Man, I feel like I just kind of go with my okay. You know what? The, you got to put a little thought into this, right? Like. We don't put thought in anything. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like I'd, I'd have to, you know, like when you get there and you'd have to showcase where you're from, that's what they all do. Right. Right. So, I mean, what's it, what's an appetizer that would showcase, seafood sort of, you know, the Island and stuff. Well, I wouldn't have any seafood cause I don't, I don't really eat a whole lot of seafood. So, you know what? I, oh, shit, you know, I could probably do a surf and turf maybe at the, at the main course, but a, as an appetizer, I think I'd just kind of go with one of my favorites or something, you know, like nice caprese salad or something that just kind of wets your whistle. Um, and, and my main course, some Island beef. There we go. There's my out. I got some Island beef with some, yep. with some Island potatoes, you know, and I'm not yep. doing this because of the Island. I'm doing it because that, that's the shit I love. Yeah. So I'm all over that. Yeah. And dessert. Ooh, it's gotta be apple. Let's go with some sort of apple pie or something. That's my jam, man. I'd have a good meal. I'm going, I'm going to start off with a, uh, point prim chowder. 
Oh, now we're getting specific with locations. That's kind of unfair. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You do you. Point Prim Chatter House. They're going to fly in some some chatter for the boys. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we're going to go with a a little Caesar salad. I mean, I don't care where it comes from. Um, Okay. Then we're going to do a lobster from the... uh, Oh, what's the... Jesus. I'm not a big lobster guy, but what's the big lobster house down on Charlottetown everyone goes to? It's a little house there. The Water Street or the, um, there's Water, there's Prince Street, Prince Wa- Street, Prince Street, and then there's the Lobster on the Wharf as well. Yeah, one of those two. They bring yeah. in some lobsters. Yep. Um, we're going a, a Sims steak with okay. a, so- a side of their wow. mac and cheese. Holy jumping. <laughs> bring in, uh, bring in Craig McMillan and, uh, you know, get, yeah. the, get, get the chef in there. And then, um, for dessert, we're gonna go to uh, the island. I'm sure he'd cater that dinner for for some tickets and stuff. There's no question about that. And then for dessert, I think we're going to Island Preserve Company for their raspberry cheesecake, homemade from scratch. You know what? This is this is a uh, your menu is obviously way better. However, oh. you've obviously you made that question. You had that written down. You had time <laughs> to think about it. You're uh, cheating. You were cheating. And last but not least, oh, geez. I'm, wa- I'm washing it down with a Maid Marian's chocolate milkshake. Because <laughs> they, because they, yeah, they, they give you the tin after they make it and give you the leftovers. Oh yeah, no, they just leave it right there on the table, eh? <laughs> uh, it's a funny story about that. Bernada had her first ever Maid Marian's experience. Oh She's my, She's been here since 2015. Never been to Maids up until um, just a couple Saturdays ago. Took her and uh, okay. she got to experience it. There was a big smile on her face, as you know, she's used to having diners you know, in where she's from in Philly. And um, anyway, so this was, uh, she liked it. We both, uh, I think we both smashed eggs Benedict or something. No, neither one of us had the old Robin hood, but anyway, it was, Next uh, time. I did take a picture of her. It was kind of a big deal for us, but yeah. Nice. I don't know, man. There's a couple nice wineries out there. Little, uh, the Rosignol winery and get that there. Some of their blueberry wine or something. That would be I'm not a wine guy. Well, I don't know. To each their own. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. We talked right. about the uh, Masters for a little bit. Let's yeah. uh, let's let's get over to a golf master himself. Um, he'll love me calling him that. Um, Mr. Dave Williamson is going to come on, and uh, hope you guys love the interview. Interview. Um, please give us some feedback. Um, let us know what you think of it, and um, yeah, uh, maybe it'll shape the future questionnaires that we give these guys. But uh, yeah, this was this was a great one, and I hope you guys enjoy. Our guest today has been a figure of golf in Atlantic Canada for over 20 years. With multiple amateur titles, 10 Canadian amateur appearances, as well as a Provincial Player of the Year title. Mixed in between all that was a two-year stint on the PGA of Tour Canada. Now residing in Halifax and mixing his love for golf with his marketing savvy, he is ready to go full throttle documenting his golf ventures and taking fellow golf enthusiasts along for the ride. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Williamson. Wow. Nick, you're coming along with me, buddy. That was, uh, <laughs> thank God that doesn't happen on the first tee or uh, Phil Mickelson would say I've had enough yeah, already. Yeah. Let's yeah, Okay. Enough already. <laughs> okay. Okay. Come on, move on. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Pleasure podcast, to be here, boys. Welcome thank to the you. Podcast. No, you, got, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Certainly uh, getting some listeners uh, on multiple different islands and peninsulas, even over here in Nova Scotia. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. We, uh, we ended up, uh, you're, you've got a hard follow-up there last week. We had the one and only Anthony Warren on 
And you mentioned in the preamble there, uh, you've got you've gotten experience with with Anthony um, in your. So I got, I, I guess I think we all have some great Anthony Warren stories. Um, myself, no different. And probably a great way to start off is talk, talk about their uh, mutual friends here. So um, yeah. I think it was about 2008, maybe. Um, it's a Canadian amateur out in Lethbridge. And uh, just a little precursor, I knew it was going to be my last Canadian amateur before turning pro. Um, so I really wanted to have a good performance and obviously an incredibly tough golf course set up for the Canadian amateur. For those that had played, and I know there's probably some listeners that were part of that event, it was one of the most incredible windstorms of any golf tournament ever. And uh, the first hole is right up on top of the canyon, and it's just blowing like crazy. So the tees like are one clubber? Oh, <laughs> yeah, one plus. <laughs> and uh, it was nuts. But uh, so I'm getting ready for it. It's the first round, you know, obviously nervous, um, you know, going through all my mental routines and making sure that, you know, I'm ready for what's going to be one of the toughest challenges of golf, regardless of the situation. And so I've got my head down and I'm, I'm getting ready for, for walking up to the first tee. And out of nowhere, I get these two ear pods placed in my head. Okay. And they're not mine. And I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And I turn around and there's this figure. He looks like the macho man, Randy Savage. He has white Oakley gas can sunglasses on. I dare say his hat was backwards. And he's listening to Sandstorm by Darude, right? Like getting ready for a hockey game. And these AirPods are in my head. And I turn around, it's Anthony Warren. I've never met the guy. This is the no. first time I've ever met Anthony Warren. And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, let's have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could not have had two polar opposite individuals paired together for the first yeah. round of the Canadian Amateur in 08. And uh, that was my first taste of uh, what was to, what was to come from, from many Anthony stories moving forward. Unreal. I think, um, remember, remember he was talking about 70 guys that were there to try to make the tour and work on their game and 70 guys that were just happy to be there and party it up a little bit. I have a feeling, again, polar opposites right there. Oh my God. I forgot about him having those glasses. I remember those. Yeah. yeah. I think he still has, I think he still has them. He breaks them out for the, uh, the big, the big ones. Well, he took him right from uh, David Duvall or the Macho Man or something. It was uh, it was incredible, but wow. certainly an incredible talent and a nice job on the show, guys. Uh, had a lot of fun, obviously, listening to that interview as well. So great job okay. with what you guys are doing. So, you know, you mentioned something there real early about going through your mental routine. And then uh, Nick was kind of smiling, and I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, kind of wonder what, what kind of mental things were going through your – or, you know, what kind of preparation do you do before, before a big round? I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> Well, I tell you, it doesn't certainly start that morning. You know, you, you, you look at a tournament as just kind of another stop. But when you can see, you know, back in 2008, you know, I had a path that lay ahead in professional golf as well. So there was certainly a lot of, um, you know, you, you do a lot of uh, preparation to get ready for it and then treat it like it's any other day. Right. And one of my best coaches back in the day used to say, you prepare and then you don't care. So yeah, I, I had to take a little bit more from Anthony Warren on that side, on the on the don't care aspect, because uh, certainly he was able to, to really freewheel. And I learned a lot from playing from from guys like Anthony um, on how to really just be able to be in the moment and not try to script too much in advance, which I think a lot of uh, elite amateurs try to do is, you know, try to be very robotic and try to do everything according to plan. And, you know, then you get on the golf course and you got a 75 mile per hour wind that we had that day. 
day, you know, it's uh, you can't prepare for those types of things. So there's a lot of there's a lot of little tips and trades. And, and uh, certainly a lot of people here in Atlanta can I've looked to for, for inspiration on that as well. All right. Okay. Well, so my whole my whole going about it was completely wrong. All right. Good, <laughs> good to know that 20 years later. Uh, uh, Speaking of 20 years later, I, I always like to go back. Um, it's actually really interesting. I mean, you're you're from, you know, uh, Nova Scotia. So we, we don't have a lot of folks from that area, which is which is a shame because there's lots of stories and, and lots of people that are certainly interesting characters and accomplished golfers in their own rights. But um, what what kind of where'd you grow up? Where'd you play? Where'd you play golf? What got you interested? Um, you know, obviously, uh, we'll get into sort of what Nick went into with the intro there in a, in a bit, but I'm just kind of, let's, 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 let's go back. Absolutely. No, I grew up right in Halifax um, in Clayton Park. And my old man, uh, actually, his office was pretty close to old Ashburn Golf Course. So he dropped me off in the mornings, go to work, you know, and, and I would play and, and certainly then uh, get picked up at the end of the day. Um, probably just like any other kid, you know, my dad was a huge golfer and so was my grandfather. Uh, so we've got quite a, a lineage at Ashburn and, you know, just trying to be, you know, like my like my dad, my grandfather and, and, and play a lot. Um, junior program was fantastic. And there was a lot of great players that started when I did at 10 years old, um, at Ashburn, I did, you know, just kind of screwing around before that. Um, but really kind of fell into it at that age and, and what a way to spend a summer, right? I mean, it's the best daycare on the planet. Just go join a, you know, a golf club. And this is and, such uh, a recurring theme. You know, like we just hear this, yeah. you know, but anyway, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I loved watching it on the weekends with my old man. I love going out and playing, meeting new people. Um, obviously meeting lots of people outside of just juniors as well. Um, so just got really comfortable, uh, being on a golf course and, and started competing, you know, at 12, 13 years old, okay. um, you know, getting, getting involved with it. Um, really kind of stepped it up a level when I got in, uh, high school, uh, won my first Nova Scotia junior at 16, uh, at Bell Bay. And that was well, kind of the beginning. Yeah. I was going to say, so hold on now. I, I always like to know, like you're 12 and 13 years old and then you head into, um, high school and that growing phase where you're starting to build some muscle and, and hit it out there and all the rest of it. What, what was it like? I don't know. Like, what was your game like at that time? Like, were you, uh, say, a you know, uh, 12 handicap 10, were you, were you breaking 70? What, what was the scoop at that age? Yeah, absolutely. I was a husky kid. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> I wasn't doing much else for uh, for sports outside of that. Um, but really, you know, I think I was probably uh, a little, I would say one of the better juniors at Ashburn, but nothing standout. Um, and certainly, you know, as a kid, you're trying to do multiple sports, playing lots of things. Um, I really started to focus right in that age, like you said, 12, 13, 14. And, and I think that's one of the things that I actually really am proud of is that I didn't get too involved with golf too early. You see so many people now, you know, getting into the game really, really young that by the time that they really have to start finding a groove and playing tournaments and getting competitive, they almost are golfed out. And, uh, and I was really fortunate that it came in at the right time, right in that, right in that pocket zone and getting to high school. Um, but golf wasn't cool. I mean, this was pre Tiger Woods. This was, you know, just as Tiger was getting on the scene and, uh, you know, it was, it was very, um, you wanted, wanted to be able to keep the fact that you were a golfer almost under reps. Right. So it was some of those things that, yeah, you know, I play, but it, it certainly wasn't anything that you would use to try to become cool in high school. Um, Dave, what, and so, Dave, what are those, what are those weird tan lines? Um, um, I, was, <laughs> I, I wear, I wear weird shoes and socks in the summertime and hat all day long. It's a skin condition. Leave me alone. 
<laughs> I only wear a glove on one hand. Leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a little weird for that. But no, it was really just kind of just enjoying the summers um, and being able to really start to uh, find something that was going to be a passion. But it just at that point in time was just so new, you know, and, yeah. and golf is an incredibly hard game. Um even at regardless of the age that you're in, the nice thing about doing it as a junior is, you know, you got a whole summer with a clean slate. So, you know, go to the golf course, you know, work on your bunker play. One of my, my best buddies, Will Shabelsky, him and I would spend hours just hitting bunker shots, you know, middle afternoon on a Tuesday and just really start to say, look, like I could, I could do this and really, really start to push it. And that's when you start playing a few more tournaments and you start, you know, really starting to look at mentorship and coaching and that type of thing. Um, and my dad was a huge influence for that to, to really kind of help my game grow. So how many hours in the bunker before you learn how to not to blade them across the green? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> if there was a number, if there was any sort of number not, you had in your head. Not enough, um, <laughs> to be honest, just still do that now for, for crying out loud, right? But uh, it, it's funny, it's just like with any type of practice. And one of the big things I talk about now is, you know, you can go in and do a ton of reps or you can learn how to practice correctly. You know, and here we are, it's just two kids in a bunker hitting shots. Um, you know, and, and then somebody comes along, either one of the better players at the course or, uh, you know, one of the pros at Ashburn and say, okay, we'll try this with your, your, your wrists or, you know, do something a little bit different. It would, it would make a world of difference. Um, so you kind of blend that youthful enthusiasm with a little bit of knowledge. And then obviously things start to, to grow from there. And um, then you, then you start to travel. That's when, for me, especially it took a, a, another notch up was being able to start to compete. Right. And say, okay, you know, now all this practice is for something. It's not just for the enjoyment of, you know, trying to hit a bunker shot. It's about actually trying to save power. It's about trying to, to win. Um, and I think everybody should try to have that at least in some form. Uh, sports is obviously a great way of being able to do it. So you're, you're a junior, you're, you're, um, you kind of, you were just about to get into sort of the junior career, obviously in high school and all that. And I mean, I see the, the list of, of, of a couple of different uh, junior accolades there. Um, but uh, what was your first tournament like? Um, when did you decide that you were going to take this seriously and kind of take us through sort of, I guess, the more like the teenage years, I suppose, um, with regards sure. to the career? Yeah, absolutely. My, my first Nova Scotia junior, I was 12. Uh, first amateur, I think I was 13 or 14 down in Clare, Nova Scotia. Um, and, and you just have no idea what you're getting into. I mean, if you play at a club and you play with juniors, um, you know, you, you think you have a level of expectation for your game. And then, and then you go and you play against the Anthony Warrens and you start playing against the Matt Mathesons and you start realizing like, holy cow, I'm, <laughs> there's a lot of really good players. And that's just here in Nova Scotia. That's not even talking about Atlantics or Canadian juniors, that type of thing. Um, but you know, it was great. And I still love now that you see a lot of courses certainly open up for junior play, invitational play. Um, and I think that's, that's huge for the development of golfers. Um, certainly it was for me. And, and then obviously now start, then try to compete on the amateur scene um, and the provincial championships. And I think that was really kind of that next big step was starting to travel a little bit and, and feel comfortable bringing my game to different places other than just Ashford. Um, and then, uh, so, so I think a lot of that comes together in, in tournaments and, and you find out a lot about your game. Uh, you find out a lot about losing, which is really tough, especially in high school, right? I mean, so many sports, you're, you're, you're getting your groove, you're starting to get your talents and in golf. I mean, God, you can go years. In, in fact, you can go an entire career without ever really tasting victory in golf. Um, so I think just being able to handle yourself from, from that perspective is, is massive. Oh, we're just kind of laughing along here because we're like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Whole career. No, no, it, but still working on it. Still working on it. Um, when you, 
you, when you broke on, how did you break into the the junior golf scene? You know, what was your yeah. first sort of like, obviously you're going and you're, you're seeing, whoa, these guys can play this type of thing. Um, but when did you start thinking or what, what tournament was it that you feel like is a little bit of a breakthrough win or top? Yeah, win? really, really good question there. Anthony Warren mentioned a couple different names on his uh, interview there. Ron Harvey Jr., Brody Flanders, Michelle Landry from uh, from New Brunswick. We all kind of grew up in that in that same era and uh, and we would have Atlantic championships and, and, and lots of junior events and I would play against them and. I would feel competitive. I don't think I felt ever felt as good as those guys, but I, I could feel competitive. Um, the big win came for me at 16 at, at Bell Bay with the, the Nova Scotia junior. And um, that was the home course for Peter Campbell, uh, who was a couple years older than me. Uh, he was leading the event, I think going into the final day. Um, but I just felt comfortable in competition. And again, it's not something you develop overnight. It, it, it takes tournaments. It takes practice. It takes yeah. losing to really start to feel comfortable in a situation. Um, but I was 16. I, I shot 69 on the final day at Bell Bay, uh, played great on the last few holes, which at Bell Bay, I mean, as soon as you go three feet off, you know, the, the, the fairway, you know, that that's not woods that you're trying to hit an escape shot. Like you find your ball and you might be able to get out sideways. Um, like and I just, uh, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. similar. They yeah. played a Canadian amateur Brunello a few years ago. And I think that was uh, a new experience for a lot of players is actually hitting it in the woods and having it be a penalty right? Regardless of where you headed, and Bell Bay was the same. Um, so I was able to win the, the junior at 16. And I think that really started to, to cement a lot of confidence in my game. Um, I won the junior again at 18. And that was really when I was starting to transition into college. So I was able to, to kind of end my junior career on a high. Um, really fortunate to be able to play for Team Canada, uh, compete at the Junior Worlds down at, at Torrey Pines. Um, the year that Anthony Kim uh, won, there's a, a blast from the past for, for names, right? Big no plastic frame glasses. Yeah, big, big, big glasses look, you know, just just incredibly nerdy on the golf course. And of course, you see him on TV 10 years later with the belt buckle and the entourage. And it was yeah, totally yeah, different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th- nobody has nobody seen him since. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So rumor is, though, Saudi tour Saudi. could be Saudi could be tour, AKA. Saudi tour. Never know. Yeah, I would love to see it. He, he had you? such a talent. Funny story about Anthony Kim. I was I was on the range a few years later, and I mentioned Brody Flanders as being an influence on me as a junior. Um, we were at a Canadian amateur, and and we we're just hitting balls on the range. And this is probably about third or fourth year of college. And uh, I, Brody was incredibly played at Oklahoma, and I asked him, you know, um, are, are you planning to turn pro? And he said, No, I I, I can't do it. And I was kind of surprised. And I asked him, well, why is that? He goes, I can't even beat my roommate. Like, it's depressing how good these players are. Well, his roommate was, was Anthony Kim. So, <laughs> so <laughs> your level, bud. Yeah, yeah the benchmark might be a little, little high. A little, a little different scenario there. But, you know, he eventually went on to caddy for Anthony Kim during his run, during his run there and was kind of part of that entourage that, that Anthony built. And it would be great to see him, uh, you know, see him come back a little bit. But, but no, back to that competition level, you know, every step, whether it's, you know, playing junior at your club to playing junior in your province or then going from your province to an Atlantics or Atlantics to a Canadian junior, or Canadian amateur, it's a, it's a culture shock every step. Right. Especially when you, you get to the pro ranks, because you just start to realize how good everybody else is out there. Um, and a couple things can happen. It either inspires you to really hone in on your game or it inspires you to look at a different path. And, um, you know, been really fortunate at each kind of step there to, to, to try to put the hammer down. So so at this point, when you're kind of transitioning junior, all that stuff, are you getting instruction at this point? Are you looking into a coach, uh, someone at Ashburn that you kind of worked with? 
Not really at that point. I, again, I go back to my father. He was huge and being able to teach me and, and things that he had worked on in his game, right, which transcended over to myself. Um, my first real coaching experience for both strength and conditioning and then from a from a swing aspect came in university at, at Simon Fraser at West. Um, and that was that was great because your game changes, obviously, as you, you develop in your late teens, early 20s. But the other side is, you know, once you start to travel at the level you do in varsity golf, it's amazing the little differences that you pick up in your swing and in your game when you've been in a van for 12 hours driving on the West Coast of California or you're flying and you're going to multiple events. Um, the last thing you want to do is be able to feel like you're prepared, go away and then say, oh, geez, <laughs> right? this, is a, this is a whole different experience. Um, so the best coaches, I think, train their players to be able to have a game that can travel. Things that you can always go back to is core fundamentals um, and then be able to adjust them on the fly so that you don't feel crippled if you, know, you go to an event and all of a sudden you know, you're hitting snap hooks when you've always hit a fade or, or whatever the case may be. So that was really when instruction took it to a whole other level. And um, that was, again, now we're kind of in the mid-2000s. This was the beginning of really that golf fitness phase, right? Um, you know, I mentioned growing up, I was husky, and there was no such thing as kind of golf fitness. Tiger certainly changed that in the late 90s. Did you have um, a nickname people... back in the day? Did you have a nickname in high school or anything? It wasn't like, hey, <laughs> hey Bruno or something, you know. I'm husky, I'm husky, husky, husky Dave. <laughs> It should have been, uh, I need to have my pants. It's probably the best nickname I could have had. Find <laughs> them about five sizes too big and the, the pleated khakis like Davis Love. Um, right. but, but, How about the golf shirts that go down to your middle of the forearm? Oh, you should see our college pictures. We've got some great ones. Adam Chamberlain was on your show. Adam was a, a great friend and we were actually roommates in college. And it's fun going back to that time, right? Where you see all these players, you know, Tiger, even Tiger, when he busted out on the scene, had, had the shirts and the pants that were five sizes bigger than what you'd see Will Zalatoris in now. Um, yeah. And certainly we were all kind of guilty of that back in the day, right? So, um, but no, I think, it, you know, that was the beginning of, of strength of fitness. And, and I really gravitated towards that. Um, I was never a big hitter. I didn't really hit it a long way. Uh, I wasn't in shape. I wasn't taking care of my health. I was in university, right? So, you, you know, you do you're having fun with that as well um but the, the the strength and conditioning side was something that really started to elevate my game both from being able to actually hit the ball but do it repeatedly right not worrying as much about injuries not worry about as um you know going up and showing up at an event and Simon Fraser is an NCAA Div 2 school showing up and being completely smoked by the the courses that you're playing this isn't you know playing Nova Scotia or PEI golf courses anymore now you're playing you know real tipped out tough tracks and uh and length was something that uh, you know certainly needed to be developed so so you got yeah. there sorry i was just going to ask you like we kind of skipped over a little bit there i mean you're in high school um but you had where did you go to like college or what what ended up happening that you got to you know you're you're playing high school and all of a sudden you know you feel like golf is going to be it sounds like golf you're like i'm going to be a golfer and yeah. you know that was your direction so did you, did you go and get, uh, did you have a bunch of scholarship offers or what, what was your, what happened back then? I did. And I was really fortunate when I, um, when it was time for me to choose a school, uh, the RCGA at the time, now Golf Canada, really wanted to keep athletes in Canada, right? So they started scholarship funds so that you wouldn't have to feel like you'd, you need to go down south in order to play varsity golf. Um, so I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I had those junior victories. 
I, I had a sense that marketing was going to be the, 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 the path for me from a business perspective. So I did a lot to really kind of package my offering as a student athlete. Um, and then obviously the RCGA helped uh, try to keep players in Canada. So um, Vancouver was an unbelievable spot. Uh, you know, we had some incredible facilities, uh, still do to this day for SFU. Um, and it was a great spot to be able to go. My first Canadian junior was out at Crown Isle. Uh, geez, what year would that have been? Late nineties, I guess it would have been. And, uh, and, you know, from a little kid from Halifax, I mean, going out to BC, it's, it's, it's mind blowing, right? It's like, holy cow, I can go to school here and, you know, get majority of it paid for and play golf. Let's, let's go, right. Let's, let's do this. I do um, it right so, now. Actually, I would do it like <laughs> I'd go back. right now. Let's go. Come on. Who's out there. Let's go, <laughs> let's go back and enjoy it. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and I think another cool part of it was being able to, to do it with other Canadians as well, like Adam Chamberlain, Russ Passmore from, from uh, Nova Scotia as well. Um, we know we had a couple of guys from Ontario and a few from out West. So we really had, um, a full assortment of Canadians representing the flag at all these NCAA schools. And that was, uh, you know, that was really big for us to be able to travel, to play, uh, to grow, to coach. Um, you know, Simon Fraser is not an easy school either. You, you know, our, 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 te- our professors didn't care if we were playing sports or not. Um, so you had to keep up a high academic quality at the same time. You mean it's not like the uh, NCAA football players? <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't as many Grecos for uh, for being able to have the late night deliveries uh, for uh, Tim McCollum uh, style uh, dropped off in the middle of the night there. So what did you yeah. major in? Uh, majored in business, majored in marketing, minor in economics. Um, but uh, another cool. side of it, too, is, um, you know, trying to really use uh, the scholastic side to to boost what I wanted to do in golf. Right. So how would an athlete come to market in a way that's not just, you know, hey, I want to turn pro. Okay. Well, how does that help a business? How does that help? You know, how are you actually going to build your story to make people want to follow you, right? And want to support you and and believe in a cause that's bigger than just, you know, a kid trying to play golf. Um, so marketing was a great way of being able to do that uh after graduating. It was uh, it had a little bu- a few bumps in the road to, to to try to really push it to the next level, um, but the I think right now for a lot of athletes that are either looking at trying to build into their scholastic career or their athletic career, marketing is a great way to to figure out how to frame your offering that's different from everybody else that's out there. And is the was the minor in economics for okay if I make a million and I win this event and then I to add up all the <laughs> add up all the zeros for the winning and. I think it would have been to figure out how much tour life would have cost more than how much it was going to, uh, going yeah. to win. The expense, the expense, good. the expense, uh, column was a lot longer than the, uh, revenue column for the, for most players. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievably. So, so that was a great, great prep to kind of get ready for the next evolution of, uh, of my game and, and, and get ready for, um, what was eventually to be a, a pro career. What to do you, when did you turn pro? Like you, I, I'm looking at sort of the, the list here of of master like you 10 times canadian amateur competitor you went to the amateur 10 times like well I, you're making me feel old here bud by by thinking about i'm it. older than you so i'd have no problem doing this <laughs> <laughs> well i listen it's it's funny to talk about that because a few years ago um i was at the canadian amateur uh i think it actually i, I played with um Brody this year, I think it was at when it was at Weston, uh, Weston Lampton Golf Club. And uh, they did a nice ceremony at the beginning to kind of get all the players ready. And uh, it was mandatory for all the players to go. 
So you've got the full field. And of course, now the Canadian amateur is a lot different than it was. You know, it's 250 players over two courses. It's a circus. So this is more of a, you know, almost felt more like a concert than it was, you know, an actual golf tournament. But uh, we're, we're there and, and the CEO of, of um, Golf Canada comes out and he goes, OK, we've got a really big field here. I, I want to know who has played the Canadian amateur before sta- standing. Okay, so a few guys stand. Lots of people sit, right? Because you get a lot of the, the late juniors and, and college players. Okay, who's played two Canadian amateurs, right? Everybody starts sitting down. Who played three? There's like three or four people left. I'm like, oh my god! Like, you got to be kidding me here. Like, if you know this, this can't be happening. They're doing so this on purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're doing it to, to point out that the blue nose are in the room, right? So then they uh, they they say do you know do it one more time, five times, whatever. Pretty much everybody sits down. I'm the only one standing, and he looks at me. And he goes, "How many have you been?" He said, "I think this is my ninth." And he goes, how old are you? (laughs) you I'm in a room of 500 people here. And I'm like, oh, God, I didn't think I was going to be here to to tell stories around the campfire. Like this is, you know, I'm here trying to win the event type of thing. Um, But did they have persimmon persimmon woods in your first appearance? (laughs) (laughs) In fact, at Golf Mania, if you show up tomorrow, we can get a new persimmon driver, right? (laughs) Get fitted today. <laughs> totally different story for it, right? So, um, no, so that was, I mean, so were was, you, uh, you were legit the last one standing, like you were the, the one that was there, far and away, far and away <laughs> yeah. of 500 yeah. people. And this is what 2000, what'd you say, 2000? And- uh, well, this would have been relatively recently. And so, I mean, there's so many players now in the Canadian amateur, um, that come from abroad. It's, it's, it's a massive amateur tournament on the worldwide scale, and, and I understand why. Golf Canada has to have it structured that way um, to bring in some of the best talent and some of the best amateurs in the world play the Canadian amateur. Um, I miss the old days and I, now I'm really starting to date myself, but you know, Anthony was on talking about when it was match play and, yeah. and, and it was so much fun, you know, making the cut and playing against individuals. Um, yeah. And not only that, but representing your province for the Willington cup. Um, the one of the best times in golf off the golf course was the Willington Cup dinner. And, you know, listeners of your show, if they've been to one, it almost feels like the Masters Champions dinner. You are in a room with the best amateurs in the country with your flag on your chest. There is yeah. nothing better than that. And that doesn't exist anymore, right? There, there's no, was, there is that was a my next Cup, question. There, is, there, is there anything like that anymore? Or? No, and not nearly as prestigious as it was. And what, it was What the hell thing. happened? That sounded awesome. We can't do it with as many players, right? Like now it's okay. Here's the rules. Here's the, you know, all the people that are here. Here's the two courses. We're going to, you know, it's, it's a, it's an event to just make the cut to be in the top 60. I think it is on behalf of 250 players. Um, so it's a little bit less of that, um, you know, Canadian or, or provincial pride. And some of the best stories I've had, whether it's with Anthony Warren or it's with a lot of the guys in Atlanta, Canada have been in competing for the Willington cup at the Canadian amateur, um, and then you get to match play. Uh, you know, I played Nick Taylor in match play at Bell Bay and he absolutely smoked me in the round of 32, I think it was. Right. Um, and you okay, build okay. these stories what, with these what, guys. What does smoke me mean? We're not talking Stephen Ames smoke, but probably, <laughs> no. probably like a four and three or something, maybe a three and two. 
I can't remember if it got that far, to be quite honest with you. He, he did very, very well in, in the Canadian amateur scene. And, and you build, you know, these great stories with a lot of guys that, you know, it, eventually if you turn pro, you, you know, you get to travel with them and you get to yeah. spend a lot of time getting to know them. Um, and, and the Canadian amateur was a great way of doing that. So, again, it's a great tournament. The Canadian amateur is awesome. I, I'm probably done from the Canadian amateur standpoint uh, just because it's, it's different now. Um, it, and back in the day, it was great about being able to build those relationships and have some amazing stories with um with the players in the game it's it's you were interesting at the, you're talking. at the yeah go ahead nick you're at Just, the in, he's at the inverary in the night before match play saying where nick taylor's hitting this i can take this guy down yeah few card games at the inverary end to get ready for the uh, canadian amateur right so Right. It's too bad, eh? Steve Names has a nice, long, great, successful career, but he will always be known as the guy who got smoked by Tiger in the match play for, for chirping him the night before. Um, the definition of smoked, yeah. I was going to ask about uh, getting back to that Willingdon Cup. Um, do you think, I know you mentioned that, you know, it's it's a, the Canadian Amateur is this huge tournament and all of that, but, you know, if every province sent their four, or at least four, say, uh, folks, well, I guess what would it be? Would it be four from each team? That would be the it way was, yeah. Traveling yeah. four and, a, and an alternate, yep. I, like to me, I just feel like it's it's a Canadian am. It's you know, get those people there. Make sure that we've got what you know, forty eight or whatever people that they are. Like what you just said about having you know, like for me, like having Prince Edward Island on on, on the back and and being one of those four. Not that it's ever happening for me, but I know that that would be such an unbelievable feeling. And I don't even feel like, I feel like they got rid of it possibly because obviously golf had this downturn, um, you know, where it wasn't as popular. There weren't a lot of people going and all of that stuff, but I feel like now they could really do that again. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Well, and again, it was really important for the people that could see the story, right. And kind of see it through the trees. There were so many players that were there, um, you know, once it started to change that were representing team Canada, right. And they had their own mandate. So it was, you know, you had your team that was playing, you had, you know, team Canada, you had invites for other top amateurs around the world. Um, but there was certainly a camaraderie aspect that the Willing Cup brought out. Uh, there was a camaraderie for, for not only just even sitting for the dinner, but you get piped in and you're in your, you know, your province's blazer. And, you know, we had the baby blues for Nova Scotia and you guys had, you know, your color scheme and the bags and the chaperones. I mean, it was a, it was an incredibly important deal not only just to represent your province, but then you'd look across and you'd see the next generation of great Canadian golfers representing their province as well. And, uh, you know, I think there could be more of that it, to your point, Len, you know, the way that golf is going now, and especially what, you know, even we're doing here on the podcast, we're talking about stories in golf. And, uh, and I think that needs to really start to shine through more, both from the national lens, but also from the provincial lens as well, of how we can really start to um, attract more of these stories moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. I, I, oh, by the way, before we even go any further, so you actually didn't know Nick beforehand, but then you weren't on here ten minutes, and what did you do? You, you, you worked or you knew his golf course or something up in Ontario? What was this? Yeah, actually, I uh, my formal years growing up, uh, as the listeners know, was in Burlington, and uh, once I graduated from Holland College, I went to Hidden Lake Golf Club in Burlington. 
Well, Hidden Lake, uh, Hidden Lake hosted a Canadian Tour qualifying school um, that I was able to. Uh, I, I it, it didn't go so well for me the year that I went to that. I think it was 2009, 2010. But the the reason we're talking about it is mutual connection. Golf is an incredible tool for building networks and, and client development, business development. And, you know, as soon as you mentioned you're from Burlington, you know, my mind races to the people I've spent time with on a golf course. So um, <laughs> a funny story there too. So I'm, I'm playing in the Canadian Tour Q School. I don't have a caddy for the, for the Q School. They give me this junior that is a member at, uh, at, at the golf course, Blair Hamilton. And if that name rings a bell, Blair was one of the, was, it's, it used to be one of the top amateurs in Canada, um, now playing professional down in the States. And, I, uh, uh, I, I, I hired Blair when he was about uh, probably in grade four, man, maybe grade six or seven. He was a little yogi backshop kid, used to pick range balls for us, had the worst temper of any junior golfer I've ever seen at Hidden Lake, like Anthony anthony jr like throwing clubs if he hit a bad wedge like tossing clubs all over the place just the worst temper but really good kid good player and his dad was awesome isn't that something eh? so blair blair is my caddy for round one and uh and so i play i, I can't remember what i shot it was round one of a four-day qualifying school you know stress fest and uh and he comes up afterwards and he, i think he kind of had a feeling that i wasn't going to get through and he said, uh, look, I've got a big junior tournament that I'm going to be playing in. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to caddy for you tomorrow. You and I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, do you want to, Dave, are you, are you going to do this or not? And I, you know, I was like, <laughs> okay, fine, whatever, no, no problem. So I've got this skinny little kid, right, that's on the bag caddying for me. So he goes, don't worry, I got somebody for you tomorrow. And uh, so I show up to the course the next day, and it's almost like, the Undertaker comes out of the parking lot from the old WWE, and his I, I can't remember his last name. His nickname was No Fuss Russ. No he was fuss, a Russ. <laughs> he was a former linebacker for the New York Giants. <laughs> He's my caddy on day two of qualifying school. He comes up. Are you Dave? Uh, yes. How can I help you? He he literally couldn't get the bag strap loose enough to go around his chest, and he's really? my caddy. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of these skinny little caddy bags, and uh, and he caddied for me for the next three days. And I'm, it, it sounds like you know Russ quite well as, as well. Oh, Russ would have been you know just one of the top dog members at Hidden Lake. Like super friendly, always want he'd play golf with anybody. His his legs were like tiny little legs. And then perched upon them where it was this massive broad shoulders, like 245 pounds built for speed, like said linebacker for the New York Giants. Loved golf. He, he had the tape on his fingers. He'd tape up all eight fingers when he'd play. Uh, but just an awesome guy. He's a personal trainer. And I mean, uh, just when you said no fuss, I just started laughing because I just said no fuss, Russ. Like... <laughs> Well, I think what I'll have to do is, uh, as a bonus feature, post a picture on the uh, islandgolfpod.ca of Russ carrying my bag. Uh, oh, you've got one, do you? Oh, yeah, before the second round. Because oh, here's this little perfect. bag, and, and, and literally is this massive human being with what looks like he's carrying like a pencil holder, <laughs> which is my, my golf clubs, right? And, and he's got his arms crossed like this. I, I swear I was the most intimidating player out there in my khakis with this, you know, lineman as my uh, as my caddy for the for the last couple of days. He he should have been go he should have been going over to your competitors like the guy in Happy Gilmore and saying, You're gonna play it as it lies. <laughs> <laughs> 
had to hit it off Frankenstein's fat foot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> had to hit it off. Had to hit it off Russ's skinny shoe. <laughs> but it, but no, seriously though, golf is an unbelievable way of of meeting people, building relationships, and obviously now here we are, you know, fifteen years later, you know, uh, recalling connections and, and figuring out where we all been and, and everything in between. So it's it was fantastic for that. Uh, still continues to be and then of course you know transitioning from uh learn how to use it as a marketing tool into actually trying to play for a living was a was a completely different uh experience altogether so um, speaking of playing for a living that q school and you said your last canadian was tw- 2008 like you had the canadian yeah. 2008 and then you went to a canadian tour for 09 and 010 correct that's correct yep. so what you know, you made the jump to Q school or sorry to Canadian tour. What's that like? Uh, yeah. How did, how did you make experience? it on tour? What did you shoot? Where did you go? Um, yep. You know, how, how did you get Russ to be your caddy there? You know, everything else like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the <laughs> hidden lakes Q school was probably my fourth Q school um, uh, near the kind of the end of the Canadian tour saga. Uh, my first one was out West in um, Morningstar golf course. And this would have been the spring of 2009. Um, but really my, you know, my amateur career was kind of getting ready for pro. Um, I had a great year in 2008 uh, with the Nova Scotia amateur uh, winning that one at, at Lingan and then, and then going over to Mactaquack in New Brunswick and, and taking that one a couple of weeks later. So what worked out really well was being able to build this story uh, before turning, before turning pro. Um, the end of 2008 had a you know, great fundraising dinner at Ashburn. Uh, so really it was never, a financial issue, you know, and I look back at, you know, the, the interview with Anthony where, you know, you're calling home to get $10, you know, to, to put gas in the car for, for me, it, that side wasn't there. And a lot of it was just in the prep work of trying to build a brand and build a story around golf. And, and so, and that connected with uh, members at Ashburn, but also with the business community in Atlanta, Canada. So uh, 2009 was uh, moved down South, basically uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida uh, had a little spot pretty close to uh, PGA village uh, trained every single day. Um, just really kind of honing my game and, and, and loving the process of mastery, right. Trying to become the best player, uh, possible. Um, I remember January 1st of 2009, I wanted to be the first person hitting golf balls on the range that morning. Like I wanted that to kind of be a rite of passage. So, you know, I had friends that were down in the area and, and didn't do anything on new year's Eve and I'm on the range uh, nine o'clock, the first person there hitting balls and my phone rings at five after nine. And it was Mike Wheatley from Wacky Wheatley's current TV and stereo. And he was one of my, kind of my first backers. He had a, a spot in Jupiter and he says, Dave, I heard you're down this way. He, he said, what are you doing? I was like, I'm on the range because it's January 1st, nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, yeah, I'm working on my game. And, and he said, all right, well, come on down. We got to, you know, we got to, we got to talk and get up and play. Um, but when you get to that level, you, you really start to enjoy the process of practicing. Um, I, I wish I would probably would have played more tournaments, to be honest with you, to get ready for Cantor. Um, but I really wanted to, 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 to push my game to, to a whole new level. Um, so my, my, I guess it would have been my second Q school is I tried once at the end of 2008 at Thunderbird, which is in Ontario. Um, and then in 2009, I went out West, uh, roomed with Matt Matheson, you know, a, a classic name in Atlantic Canadian golf, um, and made it through Q school at Morningstar, which, 
got my full status. I think I came second or third in the, in the Q school itself. And that secured my, my season to be in 2009 on Cantor where I could, you know, pick and choose events and, and play where I needed to. One of the questions I had about, um, was just basically with, with, you know, what, what, what scores are we talking here? You know, like what, yeah. what, uh, what are folks at that time shooting to qualify for the, uh, the can the Canada tour? Well, you know, what's funny. I, I say this a lot now and it, 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 it kind of catches people by surprise. The scores are good. And look, when you look now on web.com or, you know, corn fair, I guess it's called now. And you see these scores 20 under 25 under it's kind of numbing, but I always used to say, if you can shoot two under par every single round of golf, you will make a living playing golf for the rest of your life. Take it, take eight under in any circumstance, in any tournament, you're making 90% of your cuts. You're finishing very, very, very well. And, and you're maintaining a career without having to go and shoot 61 or 62. Um, most of those guys out there have that gear though. They, they, they can take it to that level. But it's that consistency element. Can you do this tomorrow? Can you do this a week from now? Can you do this in Guadalajara? Like with all of these other circumstances, can you block it all out and be able to still shoot two under par? And that's an incredibly tough thing to do because if yeah. you can do it, you're, you're making a living playing golf. Well, what was Tiger's um, like 60 that when he, he had like a 68 average over one year or something like that. And it was four under, I mean, you know, as, yeah. as ridiculous, that's the best golf that's ever played ever. And yeah, you know, that's, well, I mean, it's, absolutely but these guys, they do stuff. have another gear too. And that's what I mean. Like you need to be able to take it really deep. Um, especially if you're, if you're looking to, to make a career with it, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. So I think I was maybe five or six under, um, in Q school. Um, most of it to be quite honest with you is a blur, uh, just because you're so nervous, you know, you've got so many, uh, people paying attention to your game, particularly for those four days. Um, that, you know, you, you try to block it out and, and really just kind of get into the groove. But, you know, I played the event and uh, I finished up. There's a guy probably not familiar with his name is Matthew Marshall, Matt Marshall. He shot a 66 in the final round of Q school, bogey free, played with him that day. He didn't miss a shot. He, he was just completely flawless. And you, you don't hear of him anymore. Right. And here's a guy that in the most pressure cooker event, can go bogey free and not miss a single shot, make it look like it was, you know, cake. And he wasn't good enough to be on tour. Right. And, and that's the part that really starts to set in when you start playing You say, Oh my goodness. I mean, there are so many good players. What is it? It becomes so much more than just your game in order to make it at that level. Right. There's all the other factors that kind of combine with it. And, and he was a great example. So, you know, guys can go out and shoot bogey free and pressure cooker events. Um, can you do it? on a repeated basis. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's so funny to hear about, you know, and it happens, especially being from Atlanta, Canada, like a smaller place where all oh, this guy's really good golfer, you know, at his home club, he shoots a couple under par almost every day. It's like, yeah, but, and then, Oh, he maybe, maybe he can go down and play some mini tour events and anyone you talk to saying, if you don't shoot five or six under at your home club, but you have to be able to travel with that game. And then they get down to maybe we've had like a, couple guests on jason lonis said he made a try to go down to uh play some mini tour events down there and just he, his players made eagle on the first hole he was telling us and he made birdies one down after one and he made a birdie on a power five and he just said this is just a new level and then he, those two guys that made eagle they're probably not even it's just there's so many uh players out there right now 
Absolutely. And, and that's something, you know, that, that I certainly became aware of was how do you deal with adversity on the road? Right. And, and you don't learn that as a junior playing, you know, in your province or even in, in varsity um, because of the system that you're in. But when you're a pro, I mean, there's no safety net. Right. You have to figure out how you're going to travel, how you're going to play, how you're going to make the pro-am, you know, how you're going to live up to your sponsorship deals or your endorsement deals. Um, all of these new dynamics that are more than just being able to get a golf ball in a hole. And, you know, that's becomes your comfort zone in a lot of ways. And I think probably Anthony was the same idea. It's like, once you get on a golf course, it's like, okay, I know this environment. I can, I can thrive in this environment. It's all the other stuff that you have to start balancing. And it affects your game. It, big time it does. For me, it was um, health, right? Being able to maintain great health while traveling in a van across Canada, right? How do you do that so that you're actually in better condition at the Tour Championship at the end of the summer than you were in the beginning of the year? Um, not completely worn out and, you know, needing a break and, and being able to, you know, recharge. How do you recharge on the road versus going home and taking a week off? There is, there is none of that. So me, me there's and a Nick lot of eating Doritos and Swedish berries and everything else. That's probably not the way we're going to, we're going to peak at the end of the season. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but I, a lot of fun to I, do it that way. I did a, uh... Uh, every we play the stand up open obviously every year is a big event here and uh two years i used to do the live twitter updates right i'd start like the monday of stand up open week and i just tweet like crazy the whole week and i do uh one of them was my pre-round uh snacks meal and i had a picture of a superstore getting a six pack of coke Reese's pieces and uh, some yeah like goldfish uh, gummies or something. And I said I'm just get my get my uh, snacks ready for my mid for my mid round snacks. So I was like not, not exactly peak, peak, not exactly oh hundred percent not not peak athletic performance. <laughs> but you know what's funny and 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 maybe you're onto something there, Fred. Um, I had I was really fortunate to have a, a top fifty uh, strength coach. Uh, back in the day. And one of the this kind of the secret hacks, right? Or one of those things, and I think this will work for a lot of people, um, is to have some sugar in your bag. And I was blown away because, I mean, we're doing things at the, the peak, right? For conditioning and making sure your meal plan is solid. And even when you're traveling, if you can pack your own food, you know, bring it with you. And he was a big fan of pixie sticks. And I never really understood why. And a big, th big and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And it was one of these secrets that I had on, on tour was when you have a bad hole, right? And or let's say something happens that you can't control is slam some sugar. And I was, what? You got to be kidding me. But when you do that, obviously now you're in a completely different frame of mind than the woe is me attitude that you had beforehand, right? Um, some of these rounds could be, you know, five, six hours long. You got to time it, right? You don't want to crash on 13, 14. But at the same point in time, you know, there are these little hacks that you pick up while you're on the road. Uh, one of my favorite stories being like, hey, look, I'm ready to play the next week. I got my toothbrush and my golf shoes and my sweater poats. That's all I need, right? Like, how do you now um, <laughs> adapt to the environment that's out there? And, and that was one if, of the little hacks. If I slammed a pixie stick after every bad hole, I'd be a diabetic <laughs> by the end of one golf season. <laughs> I was going to say, you'd have to take out a few, few, few uh, balls or something, get the weight out so you can fill them in with the pixie sticks. My, my, Might be in trouble. My, my dentist would make a killing. <laughs> the next sponsor on the show. Uh, yeah. Listen, I, I, I know that you are, I don't know if we talked about, like uh, I, I've talked about in the pod about like kind of keeping a journal and I wish I did. And uh, you know, all these great golf trips and friends that I made, you know, and back in the day, it's, 
not even golf, just every everyday stuff. Um, you you remember a lot of these things, and I, and I think did you say that you you kept something of a like a journal or something around, or um, you know take us through a couple of couple of your uh, more interesting you know stories from from either Canadian Am or tour days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there, there's certainly a few of them. I think what we were chatting about before was adversity, right? How are you able to to deal with um, not just the great things that happen on the course, but some of the, you know, some of the other ones, um, you know, we talked about Q school, you know, that was probably one of the coolest moments you, some anyone could have on a golf course. You put so much pressure on your game to play well and you qualify. I used to have a, an old Palm pilot, right? This is before iPhone. And I remember coming off 18 at Q school after I fully secured my card and I turned my phone on and and there wasn't anything, there wasn't any messages, there wasn't any calls. Um, And then they posted the score on, you know, canadiantour.com and my phone completely died. Now people say, you know, they joke, but it's like, Oh my God, my phone blew up. My phone blew up. Like I literally could (laughs) not access my phone. moving forward. I had to run into the pro shop to call my folks to say like, look, I like, I did it. And they said, we know because they just posted this online. Right. So you have this unbelievable jubilation around performing well, and then the flip opposite happens the next week. Right. So I, I get my full card, I'm in Victoria. I go play my really my first, you know, fully sanctioned Canadian tour event and uh, in Uplands Golf Course. Times Colonist Open, um, and I'm playing well. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, my goal was to make the cut, of course, and uh, started to stumble coming in. And I was on 18 green, uh, thinking that I needed to make birdie to make the cut. Greens were lightning quick, and sort I juice the putt, missed it high, or whatever the case is. Roll it five or six feet past, go up, you know, completely deflated, you know, miss the five footer, and then find out an hour later that that was actually the putt to make the cut, right? The little oh, one. Oh no! No, you know? really? So just uh. a simple two putt, and I would have been playing the weekend on my on my first pro event. But the the irony was that I go back to my hotel room. You know, I've got a different phone, a little kind of Nokia flip phone thing, complete silence. And it wasn't because the phone broke. It was just nobody knows how to to talk to you after that. Right. Yeah. They see yeah. how bad you want it. And and if we go back to it before, you know, we were talking about all the different things you have to deal with finances and traveling and that type of thing. It was dealing with, you know, how do you have so much jubilation one week, have complete and utter heartbreak the next week? And then pack your bags, go to the next event, do it all over again, right? And play and play well, knowing that, you know, you've got so many people that are paying attention to your story um, that want to see you succeed. It's it's now about more than just trying to win. It's trying to live up to, you know, what you feel your game has for for potential, right? And that was that was one of the hardest parts of dealing with tour life was the expectation that you put on yourself and knowing that so many other people care about your game as as much as you do. Name drop here. I mean, besides your folks, obviously, but uh, where you had uh, you mentioned Mr. Wheatley earlier on. Um, mm-hmm. Who who else sort of was there that you're able to sort of give a little shout out to that uh, kind of supported you during your your journey? Hundred uh, percent. You know what? We, when I first turned pro, we had a, a big fundraising dinner at Ashburn. Uh, raised twenty thousand dollars in a night. Like it was crazy. One hundred twenty five people came out to it. 
Um, it was a hell of a start. Um, and, and I'm really thankful to uh, the members of Ashburn to really kind of help things move. Um, from that night, some great sponsors came aboard. Uh, Scott Smith from Roof Tight Construction was really my title sponsor. Um, after coming out to that night, you know, he kind of looked at the story that was being built and said, I'm in. Like, you, you let me know what you need and, uh, and, and I'll help you. Um, it wasn't because he owed you money from like side games on the course (laughs) or anything. He just said, this is a way to make it even Stevens here. I'll make it a write off. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, now in knowing the uh, house prices, I should have said, in fact, could you just build me a nice bungalow and fall over? (laughs) But, but, uh, a funny story on that one. And again, for anybody out there that's listening, that has aspirations of playing golf, hundred percent do it like 100%. I don't care how your career has been to this point because of the amount of people that you meet along the way, people become acclimatized to your story. They, they're, they're gravitating towards it. So, and speaking about Scott there, um, when I went down to Florida in 2009 to get ready for Q school, I didn't have a vehicle, right? I, I went down there and I was walking with a, a staff bag from my little place, my little condo to the range. I don't know what it was, maybe a mile and a half, two miles, but it was kind of funny. You see this guy literally walking on the sidewalk to get ready to, to go down the range. That was just the drive. That was, Hey, I don't care if I have a car or not. Like I'm, I'm going to go practice and I'm going to go work on my game. Um, he found out about that. And he said, um, he <laughs> it was funny. I was going to the range one day and he goes, Hey, I'm in the parking lot. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I, I went out to the parking lot and he had the keys to a van that he drove from Halifax after finding the story down to Port St. Lucie, Florida and said, here you go. Now you don't have to walk to the range. And just these generous, gracious things Jeez. that people do. Yeah. It's, wow. it's it, like, how do you, so, uh, so it's like you're over the moon with the yeah. graciousness that people provide that puts pressure on your game yeah. too. When you turn pro, yeah. because you want to perform for these people that are really trying to help you succeed. Sure. Um, and, and that's the, that's the dichotomy. That's the things that the really great players that I was hanging out with that are now playing on PGA tour were able to do so well was be able to uh, not only just kind of focus or through all the adversity off the course, um, but be able to really perform regardless of the circumstances that they're in on the course as well. And, you know, that's why you see some of the guys that I was traveling with the Adam Hadwins and, and Joel Damon's of the world that are fully making a living on tour was they were able to do it and do it incredibly well. Can we uh, just pause right here for a moment? Um, I'm sure most of the uh, folks that are listening are like, I'm sorry, you toured with who? Um, Adam Hadwin and Joel Damon. I mean, you know, like, uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you know, that, that I don't know, might be interesting to some folks listening. I'm thinking, I don't know, heard of them. Well, listen, I, so Adam, Adam's a great story. He, he grew up in, in Moose Jaw, but he, he spent a lot of time out in BC, especially when I was out there playing golf. So we played a number of amateur events together. Um, in fact, at the Canadian amateur that Lethbridge, when I was mentioning to you, he actually showed up, we, we played, uh, we played around together and he showed up on the tee with no woods in his bag. And I'm out there, a friend of mine, a teammate, Sean Hurley was caddying for me. And here comes Adam, who's on Team Canada and one of the highest touted amateurs in Canada, um, shows up with no woods. He, he didn't have any confidence in his driver in three when he played the Canadian amateur with just a two iron through his sand wedge and actually played pretty good, all things considered. Oh, my God. 
right? So I, I give him a hard time for that, you know, whenever I, I see him from, from, from there. Um, but he was a, he's a, he's a great example of somebody that had that other gear. I mean, he shot 59 on the PGA tour. So, I mean, you know, he certainly has that, that almost unconscious um, Will Ferrell from the movie old school. Like I blacked out for a minute there. Like what the hell did I do? Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. What, gear, what, what gear is 59? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to tell you about that one, but, but Joel, it's like, here's, it, it, well, I was going to say, just, it's like the gear, it, it's like the gear in the R8 that I couldn't find and I smashed it into the cinder block. At Hidden Lake. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't find that gear either. <laughs> the marks are still there for it. Right. So, um, oh, wow. but when you're, yeah. when you're out there on the road, you have to try, you, certainly you're competitive with the guys out there, but you have to travel as a group, right? You have to share these stories and you have to, you know, mitigate costs or whatever the case is. So Joel was part of our traveling group on tour. There was about five or six of us that routinely would split rooms. And, um, you know, he went to the University of Washington. So obviously very close to Simon Fraser, a uh, different class. So we didn't play varsity together, but we went through Q schools together. Uh, might have to post some, uh, some pics on the islandgolfpod.ca of some fun times that, that Joel and I would have had um, after events that uh, might be a little bit incriminating. So we'll boost. This is happening. This is happening. <laughs> this is happening. Well, I, I got a funny Joel story for you. And, uh, and, and certainly he, he's seen the photos and he, he's, he's fully on side. I mean, he's the guy that takes his shirt off at uh, PJ tour events. And he was always that way, you know, very, very fun guy. And, and certainly had a lot of fun together. Um, but I was at the Canadian open as a spectator back in, I think it was 2018 uh, a company that I was working for at the time, Great Bar Canada had a sponsorship. So I was up there and Joel was there. So I sent him a text and I said, look, I'll, I'll see you out there. And he said, sure. So I didn't want to bug him during the round and uh, he's playing. Okay. Uh, comes off the 18th green. And the funny thing about Joel is when you see him on TV, he's got this big bucket hat, right? Well, years ago before the bucket hat, he used to have the Ricky Fowler pressed hair. Right. And I mean, like the, when Ricky Fowler first came on tour, right. When it almost looks like it's like pressed and then blow dried. So we used to call him, uh, we used to call him Joel Bieber. Cause he kind of looked like Joel, uh, Justin Bieber. So, so he's, he's coming off the 18th green and he's kind of got his head down his bucket hat. And, you know, I'm off just kind of by the clubhouse. And I say, Joel Biebs. And certainly he looks up with his hat and he goes, Holy <clears throat> Williamson. The word he shouldn't be saying in front of the clubhouse. Well, wouldn't you have it? That is where the Canadian open has all the volunteer kids that want to get the flags and the golf ball signed. <laughs> You drop an F bomb? Is that what it was? Was it? It was eh? 100. Oh my yeah. god! Just full, oh just so surprised god. to see me. Called yep. a Bieber right in front of yep. everybody. Yeah. So he says, "Holy F bomb, Williamson!" And there's about <laughs> 50 kids that have the Canadian open flag getting ready to be signed. So he looks around the course. Holy shit! But <laughs> of course, now he's in an echo chamber. Now he can't stop swearing in front of all of these kids that are trying to get autographs in the Canadian Open. So if you ever uh, if you ever run into him, call him Joel Beaver. Tell him I said hi, and yeah. he'll remember the story of how he uh, would have been an internet sensation. I am a hundred. You know what? Sometimes we we take the initiative and we cut some of these interviews and we post them on as like separate video audio type files. <laughs> 
that one's going on and i'm tagging joel biebs and yep. this is going viral that's amazing so he, he would love it i i you also did you also i think we you mentioned you you played with roger as well uh former former guest um roger sloan uh and a good friend of, of my younger brothers what's uh where, where did you play with him or how well do you know him Man, I'll tell you again, that West Coast connection, right? He's a kid from uh, from Merritt, BC, uh, same age as I. So we would have played uh, a lot of the amateur events together. Um, he wasn't kind of in our group of travel buddies, but certainly we would have a number of different rounds together and play together. Uh, another guy that has that extra gear um, and, mm. and was able to bring it out at various events. Uh, he played incredibly well uh, on the road. And, and I think that's part of, the, part of the reason why you see him on, on TV now is his ability to you know, be able to shoot the scores regardless of the locations that he was playing. And again, you, you get back to it and you, you have, again, golf is an unbelievable way of being able to create a story and build connection. So, you know, Roger and I had played a number of different uh, amateur events, um, you know, turning into pro events or what have you. And you see these guys on TV now and you have a connection with them, but you, you realize that, you know, they have a game like you do. They just are able to do it kind of on a repeat basis and, you know, great guy, certainly lots of talent, um, you know, and, and, and hope he can continue with it. Yeah. There's, there's a couple other reasons why they're on that other level. Yes, we play golf, but there is a certain other level that they're at, <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a focus. So, okay. So, what were, um, I guess, what, what ended up, uh, I guess, at the end of, of that? I mean, we're, we're not watching you on TV, not to throw the shade your way or anything. Um, but what, uh, what ended up sort of going on? Like you were like, you know what? I don't, I think I better go and do X or whatever. Yeah. Well, it, it, again, when you're on the road, you find out a lot about yourself, right? Especially when you're living on the edge, like a lot of these guys are, especially on, on Canadian tour. And uh, I got a story that really kind of summarizes it all. I, I was playing an event down in Mexico. Uh, it wasn't Guadalajara, but it was over in uh, Puerto Vallarta. And what's that? Juarez? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We played in some pretty interesting spots on tour. Let me, let me put it that way. But um, anyway, so I was playing an event. And uh, you wouldn't believe this play playing really quite well. Um, this is summer. This is kind of fall of 09 and uh, tour card is on the line. So I wouldn't have to go back to hidden lakes or go back to, to qualifying school. And I'm playing pretty good. Maybe a couple shots back of the lead. And I finish up on the ninth hole and getting ready to go to 10. And there's a the 10th hole is probably 200 yards away. And there's a shuttle parked by the ninth green. So I jump in the car and my, my group jumps in the cart, drives us to the 10th tee. We tee up and we start walking down. A rules official comes over and says, uh, we just saw you guys in a cart leaving the ninth green. I said, yeah, we just took the shuttle over. He said, there's no shuttle between the ninth and the 10th green. It was a volunteer that was doing a shuttle service that took a break and happened to sit by the ninth green, right? Speak Spanish. We can talk to them. Riding in a cart in an event when there's no designated shovel is a penalty, Right. So for no fault of my own, I just got slapped with two shots, right? Which in the grand scheme, who cares is two shots. But in the moment, right, when you've got all these people paying attention to your game and your cards on the line and you're playing for a paycheck in Puerto Vallarta, it's like, it's crushing. It's, I didn't do anything wrong here. And you're slapping two shots at me. Probably you shot. know what? There, that's one of the reasons why people hate golf, right? Like people have a tough time getting into it is for stupid yeah. ass stuff like that 
where, you know, it's, uh, there's a rule. It was probably been put in place years and years ago due to someone doing something. Um, but then there's no common sense sort of part of it that yeah. ever comes into the, it's like you guys were, were trying to gain some sort of, you know, conditioning advantage or something by yeah. taking a cart right. 500 feet, whatever. Like, that's the stuff. That I know. Absolutely bananas. And I agree with you. And, and, and at the time I couldn't get over it. Like it just one of those mental things. And again, if you look at it for what it was, it's two shots. It's no different than hooking a ball out of bounds on the third hole. I mean, who cares? You get over it. But in that circumstance, I couldn't. So I go back to the, the hotel and you know, my, my roommate at the time was, you know, pretty much saying like, Hey, you're playing well, you're going to make the cut, told him the story. So instead of kind of going and practicing on the weekend, we went out, had a great night. You know, we did all these amazing things. Met up with um, Anthony. Actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Met Anthony <laughs> that night in a place we won't talk about. No, exactly. <laughs> did all the, the fun things with it. Uh, oops, You're all good. Lost You're you all good. For a second. Okay. Yeah. And uh, anyway, had a fantastic weekend for it. And so long story short, we're traveling to the next event. And my roommate and I were, were, were flying across Mexico. You know, we just had this amazing weekend after, you know, a, a heartbreak type of event. And my roommate is helping another touring pro, a Mexican guy, uh, travel in between events. And in Mexico, this individual, you know, is really, really well known, but he, he, he doesn't do a lot of his own stuff. He doesn't book his own flights. You know, he doesn't do a lot of the travel. He doesn't do a lot of the accommodation, that type of thing. My friend does it. And I looked at him and I kind of said, like, you know, don't you feel like you're taking advantage of here, right? Of all the, you know, stuff that you have to do. And he said, look, Anthony, the, the guy, not this Anthony, a different right, Anthony. Right. Antonio said, look, he's got four kids, right? He's low 40s he is so focused on getting a golf ball in a rabbit hole 400 yards away that nothing else in this man's life matters because that's how he feeds his family is by playing golf and focusing on golf and getting better at golf. And it was kind of this snapshot, you know, moment where I'm looking at myself saying, you know, I miss the cut and we go have an amazing week because I want to enjoy the experience of being in Puerto Vallarta. Right. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I get to the next event, I'm going to blog about, you know, what I'm doing in my game. And I'm, I'm even doing these little mini movies I was doing on tour, you know, to, to provide for sponsorship deals and kind of tell the story as a golfer that didn't help what I was ultimately there to do. Right. Which was to get the ball in the hole. And it, and I think that was kind of the beginning of really starting to recognize that, my destiny wasn't about just getting a golf ball in the hole 400 yards away, right? It's a big piece of it, but unless you are willing to sacrifice everything to do that, there are going to be others out there that will. And those are the ones that make, right? And, And look at Joel. I mean, he survived cancer. His family has been stricken by cancer. That would be something that 95% of the people out there would stop playing their dream. They would stop their golf game for he keeps going. Right. So if you're willing to be low forties, sleeping out of the back of your car, eating five day old pizza and comfortable with that, then play golf, like do it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's recognizing the off ramps that exist along the journey to make you say, well, shit, maybe I should be, you know, maybe there's something else beyond that. And yeah. that was kind of the, that, that, that story that really ultimately for me started the path of looking at, you know, multiple things outside of just playing um, on tour. Fred, what do you think? Go grab a van. 
grab some grab some dominoes. Let's go on the road, buddy. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get the permission slip signed. I don't know if I don't know if that permission slip's ever getting signed. <laughs> so of all this, all of this, all I'm hearing, you know, a couple of last interviews. If you get it on the Canadian tour, just don't go to Mexico. That's kind of what I'm getting. <laughs> That's the overarching theme that I'm can, that I'm getting. Can the Canadian tour not put two and two together and be like, maybe we shouldn't? <laughs> so let's, uh, let's try and keep them stateside. Unbelievable. Yeah, too yeah. much too much fun to be had, right? So, um, but no, those guys do an incredible job of being able to balance everything. Um, that year, I, I ended up having a pretty bad uh, shoulder um, dislocation. I've had a I had a lot of injuries. And, and you get those. I mean, if you're sleeping under your car and you're beating balls all day. Um, but that second year, um, you know, really after the first event, I played the whole season with a with terrible um, shoulder pain. Didn't want to practice, um, you know, because it was going to hurt. Um, yeah. Wasn't playing well. But I also didn't want to back out of my commitments either. Like, I'm, I'm on tour. I don't want to pull the trump card and say, hey, I'm not playing because of a sore shoulder. Like, I wanted to get through it. And, um, you know, it didn't it didn't work out for me that year. I, I think I very much missed every cut the year before I, I played well. I just didn't have that extra gear. Um, but the second year on tour, it was it was tough. Right. You're traveling. You're you're homesick. You're injured. You're not playing well. Everybody sees it. Um, and it was ultimately something for me to start looking at another direction. And at kind of the last piece of the puzzle was a Canadian Open qualifier that I played in the summer of 2010. And it was near the end of the schedule. Um, we were already in Ontario for another event and it was a qualifier to play a Canadian open at St. George's and uh, played pretty well in the qualifier and made it into a playoff with four other, uh, with three other players plus myself uh, for a spot to play in the Canadian open. So, you know, you can have a pretty crappy year and have a couple highlights and, and it's, you know, you make, especially if you're playing the Canadian open play well for four days and you, you just tripled what you would have made on the Canadian tour that year. So I'm in a playoff playoff with uh, Derek Gillespie, who was the uh, winner of the big break when it was in PEI, I believe. Yeah. Um, yep. Mark Mark Bourgeois from from New Brunswick and uh, a guy named Jeff Puska from out in BC. Uh, so it's late in the day, and uh, you know we're, we're 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 we tee off on on the 18th hole, which is, it's sun death playoff, right? Uh, Jet or uh, Derek and Mark snap hook their tee shot. It's dark. I mean, it's late in the day. It's been a full day qualifier. You know, they go hard left off the tee into some gorse area. Jeff and so I there's, are there's there. four of you basically vying for one spot in the Canadian for one spot. Right? Two yep, of them are in the exactly. woods right now. Two of them are in the woods. So Jeff's in the play. Derek's left. Mark's left. I'm I'm up the gut. So feeling pretty nice. good. Okay. Right. So I hit first. I left a little bit short of the green, uh, big uphill slope. The links of bond head uh, in Newmarket, I believe. So I left it just kind of on the front edge, front edge of the green. Um, and then Jeff hit it in, but nothing, nothing great. Uh, I got about 40 feet in front of the clubhouse, completely dark. Now at this point, by the time we get up there and I roll it up to maybe three, four inches from the hole, right? Barely see the hole over the, over the 40 footer. Um, tap it in for my par. Jeff comes up, he's, he's next and he hits it, his leg putt to about four feet. Okay. So he marks it. I'm there with my, my caddy. And I mean, I mean, it's written right there, right? He misses this four footer in the dark. I'm playing the Canadian open at St. George's. Um, so he gets up, he, he hits the putt, makes it, makes the four footer. Okay. Asshole. Let's go. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Like, yeah. like you're in the competitive mode. Let's do this. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the rules official walks over to the green and kind of like a referee and says, guys, you're done. Like we're, we're not playing anymore today. It's too dark. We're going to continue the playoff at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. So, okay. Right. Well, it's either going to be a great scenario or it's going to be, you know, the yeah. other. Yeah. Go back to Toronto. Don't sleep, obviously. Right. It's a pretty big day the next day. Go over to the course and go through your full warm up. I mean, you'd have no idea how long you're going to be playing, but it's also the first spot in the open. So, um, get there probably 5 30, do everything you need to to get ready. Um, and ultimately play a one hole playoff uh, on the second day. Uh, missed about a five footer for par on 18 again. Uh, Jeff made a putt from about three feet. R- referee comes on the green, shakes Jeff's hand, says, congratulations, you're playing the open. Shakes my hand, said, thanks for coming out uh, next time. Blah, blah. Yeah. Blah. And that was it. Like that was the moment where you're, you're heartbroken, you're injured, you're homesick. You're, you're just all these things come together. And that was the, that was probably my last pro moment of 2010 before coming back home. I had a girlfriend uh, who's now my wife, you know, came home. We, we spent about five days up on the North shore of, of Nova Scotia. And it was like, okay, now it's time to, to kind of look at the, the, the next chapter and, and start to grow it from there. And that was what really drove me to get back to being an amateur in early 2012, 2013, by the time you go through the, the status changes um, and, uh, and move on from there. So Jeff Gillespie basically launched your career as a marketing and uh, like he basically <laughs> like started that career. You can look at it two ways, but I think it's more, you know, he, he, he really kickstarted. He really drove you in the direction to for, for marketing and not golf. Funny, <laughs> funny how it happens. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and listen, I think a lot of this stuff you bring on yourself, if, you know, if, if, uh, if you're out there on the road, there's so many bad break stories I can tell you that cost a weekend paycheck. Right. And yeah. there's so many good stories. You know, at the same point in time of phones blowing up, it's ultimately, you know, what is it that you're looking for to achieve in the game for myself now? I mean, that was basically 10 years ago. I was pro. Um, And when I look back on it now, golf is a massive part of myself, my brand, you know, my story moving forward. Uh, Is it all 100 percent golf? Absolutely not. But I'm certainly not even close to being finished in the game. Uh, I have a tremendous amount left to prove to myself and my potential in the game as well. Um, and I just needed a little bit of a kind of a breather um, to be able to explore my, my potential in the marketing space as well. And now come to this place, you know, 10 years later, that really starts to combine golf and business together, especially now that we look at all the advantages that golf brings from storytelling to network connections to all of those things. I mean, we are so unbelievably fortunate to be playing this game. That's a game of a lifetime, right? So take five years, 10 years, whatever the the amount is to figure things out, but it's always going to be there. And we're going to, we will dive more into that, you know, that sort of, uh, I guess the, the latter part, the coming back, you know, uh, part of the, of the career and such, because uh, one thing that we were talking about uh, was just, it's nice to have someone from Nova Scotia, certainly someone as uh, accomplished in their amateur career and everything as yourself. So that's uh, something that we're going to, you know, want to keep going, but uh, yeah, give, give us a little sort of rundown about what the, uh, what the scoop is now with where, with regards to where you're at and what's, uh, what your plan is. Um, and uh, yeah, cause you were, you were mentioned on uh, you were mentioning that. That sounds pretty cool. 
hundred percent. Well, a, a huge uh, change for me and for a lot of amateurs out there is the recent rule changes that have happened here in 2022. Um, elite amateurs or really amateurs in general were really restricted in what you could do to advertise your story in golf, right? If you're going to use your name or you're going to uh, create content that's, that is going to be out there that uses your likeness, that was an amateur status violation. And that was one of those things that I had to, to balance over the course of the last 10 years as a former pro was I had to be very, very careful about what I could do or not do um, to use my stories in golf. That, what would that's be, now been. Sorry. What would be something that would be like a violation? You know, like I know you're. Well, yeah. So any form of sponsorship as an amateur was, was vetoed. You couldn't do it, right? You couldn't have a logo for a company that was helping you pay for expenses. Um, for example. So uh, if you want, had somebody that was going to help uh, travel expenses, right. And that was one of the things that the provincial bodies had a really tough time uh, in trying to find sponsors because you can't use an amateur to publicize your brand or logo. Yeah. Right? So there's nothing in it for the business. Exactly. Right. Um, so you couldn't be endorsed. Uh, you couldn't create content that was deemed to be instructional and then you obviously use your brand to promote it, right? So I couldn't tell you about, you know, a hack for using pixie sticks, right? Or I couldn't say, hey, look, this is the things that I'm doing in my game to remove the rust from a winter off because that was deemed to be instructional, which is professional and then you lose your amateur status, right? So a lot of these things that had really been preventing being able to storytell. And again, I'm a marketer, like I want to be able to tell more of these golf stories I've been restricted from doing. Now in this year in 2022, those have all been levied. So the reason for that, of course, is that the game has to uh, catch up with the modernization of not only just digital technology, right? I mean, you've got so many players that are on social media that want to get public attention, you know, whether you're a junior trying to land a golf scholarship or, you know, you're a, a business owner like myself that's trying to get awareness around what you provide. How does Golf Canada regulate that? Like it's almost impossible. Um, you have the NCAA now with the NIL uh, regulation so that amateur athletes can get paid. So you get a scholarship to Oklahoma and you get paid as an amateur there. How come you can't go and find a sponsor here to help provide for expenses? Right. for example. So, so they've really come down and said, look, there's only a handful of things that you cannot do as an amateur. You can't play for money over a thousand bucks. You can't instruct one-on-one. Um, you can't join the PGA, for example. But if you don't do these things, you're an amateur. If Nike signs you for $200 million and they want to dress you in all Nike, go to town. Like that's, that's fine. So that was a huge piece for me um, to be able to finally get out in front of the story I'm developing both on and off the golf course um, as somebody that wants to get back into the game and, and, and certainly push my game to the potential, but also to, to use golf as a fantastic form for business development, networking, um, and be able to, 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 to build stories like what we're doing today um, is a great example for it. So uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of great things that are going to be developing this year um, not just on the course with tournament schedules and competitions and that type of thing, but the connections that can um, exist in golf and through golf, uh, because there's really no other sport that can do it quite like golf can. I mean, we can have a great time on the rink or we can do a lot of great things in sport, but the connections and the stories and the uh, ability to be able to um, use the game to, to, to be able to, to build your own personal network, there's, there's nothing else like it. So that's, that's incredibly promising. 
Uh, well, I, as I, as I mentioned before, and I totally agree in the, the whole amateur rules and all of that, like that's kind of exciting actually in a lot of, in a lot of ways um, should be interesting to see the changes that, that take part. I mean, obviously it stems down from the NCAA bullshit that they've been doing for years and years, but uh, listen, my friend, uh, we can, well, we probably will talk forever at a, at a different time, but uh, I'm yeah. going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap things up with our rapid fire here. Um, and uh, these are basically just sort of first top of mind answers. Sometimes they go a little longer. Let's not get ourselves here. Um, but yeah. uh, let's, let's, let's start the questioning with Nick, you fire away first. Okay. Um, old Ashburn or new Ashburn? New Ashburn. That didn't take long at all. Um, <laughs> lowest round ever shot. Apologies to the members of the old Ashburn. <laughs> <laughs> that course has had my number for years, so I, that, that, I was trying to keep the no apologies. <laughs> but uh, we've got the amateur for Nova Scotia here at yeah. uh, New Ashburn this summer, so I felt obliged I had to say the New Ashburn there too. So <laughs> ah, no, that's not the reason. You know it, and I know it. Okay, <laughs> lowest round ever. Uh, sixty-five competitive. Okay. Non-competitive? Yeah. Uh, 62. Whew. Where were those yeah. shot at? Well, ironically enough, the 62 is at the old Ashburn, which is a <laughs> <laughs> So I thought I'd slip that one in there, but which is not really that low. Um, competitive is at the Canadian mid uh, 2018 i think it was oh wow a couple um, years ago wow 65 round three yeah it was, um <laughs> it was the year that my son year after my son was born actually so it was 2016 and it was just so nice to be in the peace and quiet of a golf tournament i only played <laughs> you're in your element <laughs> and uh yeah just it was it was beautiful so 65 for that one all right driver off the deck yes or no yes 100 percent. pick it hit down a little on the back wind cheater Unreal. I'm just screw you, buddy. Okay. Um, one of your bucket list courses to play your bucket list, uh, course that you want to play. Uh, TPC Sawgrass. I mean, really? every year it's a great broadcast. It looks so much fun. I love Pete Dye as a designer. Um, Brett and I, Brett McKinnon from previous shows, uh, Ashburn member, a great player. We play quite a bit. Um, you know, that was one of his home tracks when he went to Jacksonville and he couldn't speak enough of it. And I think it'd be a blast to go down there and play it. Not at 870 a pop for a green fee, but I think it would be a lot of uh, fun to play. Yeah. Um, this is the yes or no. Does Tiger play the masters? Yes. Uh, I don't think there's anybody in this world that hopes he doesn't. That's for sure. Except every other PGA tour player probably, but, uh, even they might be rooting for him to come back. You're... I never, you can never, ever, ever, ever count out Tiger Woods. It doesn't matter if he's playing. If he plays, I'm picking him. Like you have to. He's oh, the best. I've already got money on him, man. I, it's absolutely. <laughs> um, so, what would be your favorite club in the bag? Oh, there's a stumper. I have a three wood from uh, 2008 that is still in my bag today. An old Ping I15. Uh, okay. Um, and uh, don't hear a yeah, lot about Ping lately. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Well, and again, sorry to always bust into a story here, but a great friend of mine um, gave me a, a shaft to go in a, in a newer three wood. And I, I kept forgetting to pay him back and I felt bad about it. And the reason was because I, I, I literally just haven't hit it. Like I have this old trusty three wood that I keep going back to. And, uh, and, and it's been a staple in there for a while. 
Spike or spikeless for your shoes? I have to go spikes. Man, if you see my foot action on a golf swing, I went uh, spikeless a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. I went spikeless a few years ago and ate it on the ninth hole at the new Ashburn on a downswing, trying to go for it in two and almost ripped my body to shreds. So uh, that was the last time the uh, Freddie Couples uh, soft spikes were ever, uh, <laughs> were ever donned. It's pretty violent foot action. Wow. Um, I noticed, uh, obviously, I noticed when we came on the broadcast, you're wearing a Tampa Bay Lightning uh, shirt there. So now I need to know, I don't know, is that your team? And do you think they're the cup favorite this year? I would absolutely root for them 100%. Again, I love seeing sunny Florida, especially uh, over uh, over the winter time here. So I would say they're definitely my uh, my team. I've been jaded by uh, my father being a Leafs fan and all my buddies being Canadians fans. So I figured I'd just take neutral territory. And hey, it's a great way to watch Canadian teams and pay 40 bucks or whatever it is now to go see a game in Tampa. Yeah, no kidding. The, I like to call the better blue and white team. But uh, anyway, you can you know, say whatever you want there on that one. And the most, the, the best player you've ever played around with. So just you played with him. You're like, man, this guy that's striped it the best when you're playing with him. Um, Graham Dillette, a hundred percent. He, uh, my first year on tour, he made, I think 110 grand on Cantor, which is basically winning everything. No um, wow. he, he, he was a guy that you would go on the range. I think you've had it on a few different shows and there's a different sound, on the range there's a different presence um and i had dinner with him that year that he was on his on his streak there and he, when he hung out with him he just he just knew that this was a stop in the journey it wasn't you know oh my god i'm on cantor i gotta remember this and take pictures and go have fun it was just no like i'm ready for the next level and he uh, of all the players that have gone on he was the one that you'd play with and just be like oh my god this is another talent this really? is this is crazy yeah yeah so wiry strong too first player to really drive it consistently 300 in the air when we played he would take lines that we just couldn't take right big so, farmer from Saskatchewan. yeah exactly when wind cheater right he um he was, uh, yeah, he was great for that one. Uh, he, he has a great story where I don't remember, you guys would remember from a few years ago that um, uh, Tom Watson was in the running for the British Open. Um, and it, the, due to the timing, it was Sunday for us on Cantor. We were playing in Winnipeg uh, when Tom was making his run. So nobody wanted to be out on the golf course because everybody wanted to watch Tom Watson, right, try to win the British Open. And uh, we're sitting there having breakfast and I made the cut and, and Graham did as well. And uh, he's warming up, hitting putts into a flipped over coffee cup, right? Like you do if you're in a hotel room with the guys <laughs> in the clubhouse. His tea time was in five minutes and, and Tom was walking up 18. He didn't want to go out and practice. He wanted to see Tom win it. So all these guys were in the clubhouse hitting putts into coffee cups as their warm up. And then when the starter came up, I said, look, guys, you're going to get DQ if you don't show up to the tee. He was like, all right, got to go. And he never watched the uh, the end of it until after his round was done. So Maybe if he kept watching, I'll just throw this out there. Maybe if he kept watching, he would have you know won the British Open. But you know, maybe if he didn't need that tee time. I'm going to blame him anyway. We can blame Graham. Yeah, we can blame. He can take it. He's a great guy. He could uh, he could take it for sure. I, I actually do have one other thing that I forgot to mention. Um, we were talking about this other day, uh, the other day, and um, I think we hosted the Rose Bowl here at Belvedere. Um, 
And anyway, they, it was, it was against Ashburn. I think we, they, they took it down here. Um, yep. We, you, were you on that team that just came over? Sorry to bring up so, bad so, memories, but I'm just, you uh, know, like I know how it is. We, we had to wait this long to bring up the uh, Rose Bowl. Eh? Rose Bowl is, <laughs> but you know what's funny is earlier in, we were chatting about the Willington Cup and and those stories that you build, and and the Rose Bowl is the same way. You have so many guys that that care so much about it, and it's one of the best the best experiences anybody could have on a golf course. Uh, we unfortunately didn't have the the positive side of it when we played, and in fact, the, the last few times I think we played Belvedere, you guys have smoked us. Uh, part of my goals for the year is to play. Jason Poley and not be smoked by him on a golf course. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You didn't have to bring number. that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's listening, he has had my number in the Rose Bowl the last few years. And uh, it's You're time coming to, for him? Uh, I'm coming for him. I'm, 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 I'm ready for him this time around. So the uh, you guys will be traveling with the Rose Bowl. Um, and uh, you guys got one hell of a team, man. Look at the, the players that are on the Belvedere roster. It's incredible. They really do. And they, I, I know, and we're going to wrap up here, but I just, um, but they, they have never won on the road. Um, in fact, I don't think, I don't think any team has won on the road except an Ashburn team. Am, am I right in that? Or do you know that for a fact? Yeah. Um, the, 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 I mean, there's so many stories to go around. Apparently Ashburn came close to doing the Rota, right. Trying to yes, get around yeah. to all courses, um, but didn't do it. Um, and I don't know if it has been done. The, the new format is if you win, you travel, right? Right. I think it used to be if you win, then you would host and you could repeat at your own golf course. It's just so tough to get guys to care that much um, and, and go and travel and play Riverside or, or go play Brightwood or Ashburn um, on their home course on their turf. And, uh, and certainly we've tried to do it in Belvedere. We've brought in over some fantastic teams. Uh, Brett played Anthony there last year in, in a match and yeah. we, you know, we weren't victorious. So. No, I know. I, anyway, but it was awesome to watch. And I, it's one of my favorite things about golf uh, in the Maritimes is the Rose Bowl. Um, but uh, yeah, I love the inner, inner club stuff. It's always awesome. It is. Oh, it's it's one of the it's it, it, look. I mean, you talk about pressure on a golf course. You know, you could just be playing a match, right, with your with your partner or against somebody, and all of a sudden the cavalcade of carts start showing yeah. up, right? Especially yeah. if you're near the end of the draw, and you know you've got 32 guys and 20 carts or whatever the case is, right, that are watching and praying for you to hit the best shot you possibly can in that moment, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's. And it goes from zero to a hundred on the pressure scale. It's not like, Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready for this event. Like the Canadian ever listening to Darude from Anthony Warren. It's like, Hey, I'm just doing my thing. And all of a sudden everybody's here. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. let's do this. And, and it's, it's incredible. Listen, man, thank you so much for joining us for this. Um, this is not the last time we will be hearing from you for sure. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll wrap up and uh, yeah, thanks again. And good luck with everything, uh, you know, coming up. And we'll be, we'll be talking to you again soon. Pleasure, gents. It was a lot of fun. You guys are doing a fantastic job on the pod. So keep it going. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Dave. Huge thanks to Dave uh, for coming on. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a really good time. And, and I, Stories I love- for days. You what? He's got stories for days. He does. But, I mean, he's got – he's smart. He kept, he kept it like, – wrote things down. And, you know, like, I love the fact that he's got that recall. Right. Like the, we talk about it all the time. I had no bloody recall. You know, it's brutal. weren't you saying about the one of the Anthony stories when he was talking about uh, 
didn't you tie someone who was half decent at the Canadian amateur that year? Oh my and God. I was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, some, maybe yeah. someone, uh, Mackenzie Hughes. Yeah, you heard of Mackenzie Hughes. <laughs> That's who you tied with in the amateur fifth. Mackenzie Hughes. Come on. Anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, I, so going, going back here, and I just want to bring up a, a topic because, you know, we talked about, we get in here, we did the Masters intro, we talked about the Masters for a whole bunch. Um, obviously, we never w- talked one bit about J.J. Spawn and his win last week at the Valero Texas Open. And it's one of these conversations that the boys talk about in the chat group there. They, you know, it's not that golf's in trouble. Like we, I had this really long conversation about like golf, you know, it was, I think it was Judson. He was saying like, Oh, golf's in trouble, right? Like numbers are way down for viewership and all that. And I don't think golf is in trouble, like for participation from that's booming, but what's not booming is the competitive side, right? Like that starts not that is registrations are up like on the amateur side and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like professional golf and all that kind of stuff, I feel like it's, it's that's where the problem is because you've got events like the Valero that just happened and who the hell watched it? Like I, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch the end of, end of the round. I certainly wasn't glued to my TV. Like I'm going to be all weekend this weekend, but what do they got to do to make it a little bit more exciting? I mean, golf itself is kind of a boring sport. Um, I mean, I've got a few suggestions, but what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch the Valero Texas open and yeah. What, why not? Was it, I, was it because of the players? Because the field wasn't, I mean, it wasn't great, but I, I think, don't know. Like if Dustin Johnson was in the league in there or Rom was in there, would you have watched? No, that's what I was about to say. I was going to say for me, you know, the field doesn't really matter. I mean, they could have had the top, they could have had 10 of the top 15 in the world play. Yeah, I probably still wouldn't have watched it. And I, I don't know if that's because there's a tournament every week and you yeah. just, you know, I can't watch every weekend, right? Yeah. There's only certain weekends. Like this weekend, you know, kids don't come downstairs this weekend. Like oh, Masters Christ, is on. Yeah. If they, if you do, you're getting, yeah, Nerf gunned or something. Yeah, right. no question. So I can't, you can't do that every weekend or you can't say, oh, we can't, we can't go for that Sunday dinner at your parents' house because it's the Valero Texas Open <laughs> that, is on. <laughs> that would go over well. <laughs> that would go over well. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I agree. Uh, that that definitely is, you know, you're saying that there's too much on. I mean, really, Thursday to Sunday every week, you know, there's golf on. You're not wrong. And you have to pick your pick your battles, pick your weeks, right? So when you have a like the Florida swing for me, I like the Florida swing, right? You got Bay Hill. Honda Classic is like the is leading up to Bay Hill and then you get the player. So that's two weeks in a row where I want to watch all weekend. So I have to take the next couple weekends off. So I have to take off the the Texas open and the one that was just before the, and the match. I watched a bit of the match play, but I just think I didn't watch much of the match. You have to pick and choose, you know? So you think there's, there's just almost too much golf to, to I think so. Yeah. I think, um, imagine it was every, every second weekend or, I, I don't even know if that would change I, because yeah. of the, because of the quality of tournaments, like, you know, you've got four majors, you've got the players, you've got the match play, you've got, you know, there's enough of these events that kind of, you know, could definitely fill the average. I personally think it's that the broadcasts are so freaking boring, right? Like as much as Jim Nance is like the legend for this year, like this, this, this tournament this weekend is meant for Jim Nance and his, his drawl, you know, or his, his voice, but 
you know, you're watching, you're listening to, to Azinger, you know, analyze a swing and they're not even showing, like they're showing the whole warm up routine right through to like the execution of the shot, then the reaction to the shot. And then like a couple of seconds of him walking towards the green, like they could have, they could show seven different shots in that same amount of time that they end up showing one and then address the fact that you've got these announcers on here who you could list, you could, you could put on at night and put your kids to sleep to, because that's how exciting they are to listen to in general. Like they don't have personality. If Snoop Dogg was doing the broadcast for the Valero Texas open, I'm listening. I would have watched. I would hundred percent. I would have watched Marshawn Lynch. Right. Like you talk about basketball and basketball's got, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, like the, you got basketball and you got like Charles Barkley and you got Shaq and you got like, these guys are doing that and they're just, they're hilarious. It's so the number tr- one show, like a uh, sports broadcast live show. I guess I read somewhere the TNT basketball crew is just killing yeah. it. Well, and, and then you listen, actually, you know, the Wednesday night crew with the chick that uh, Bissonette and, you know, Gretzky's on there or whatever, like people do tune in for that now. Yeah, I think I think if you had like some golf, good John Daly in the damn booth, right? I'm listening. I'm going on there and listening, and I don't care. There's going to be laughs. Remember when they did the match and how upbeat that was? Like when JT was on there and they had Charles Barkley and they had these guys. All these guys love. They love golf. Like there's so many people that aren't golfers that love golf. How many times do you have to hear them say? Oh, just uh, push that one a little into the trap there. You won't be happy with that. And now we're going back to three holes from now. Oh, good strike there. Slafely on the green, uh, 20 feet left for his birdie. I love, I love when I hear, I know. I love when I hear them say every play, every player, oh, this guy's one of the best iron players in the world. Right. Right. Or this guy's one of the best drivers of the golf ball. It's like, they're all the best iron players in the world. They're all the best drivers of the golf ball. If I had more, you ever see that Instagram guy where he takes like an Instagram thing and then just kind of says, this is stupid. Just open the damn door. You know, like, you know, he, he kind of points out how stupid some of these. Yeah. um, I can't remember his name, but anyway, that's what I feel like we should do to these golf broadcasts. Be like, ah, oh, he's, uh, you know, one of the best iron strikers in the game. And then just kind of cut to us going, he's on the fucking PGA tour. Of course, he's one of the best <laughs> iron strikers in the game. You know, yeah. if you're talking about somebody that's just, you know, missing the cut at the Stanhope open. Okay. He's not probably one of them. One of the guys that's on yeah. there, but come on, man. These guys you know, are this, pros. This guy's wedge game is just tremendous. Or they show the slow motion of the bunks shots. And look, how many times do you have to hear? the club had got past the ball. That's what made this a good bunker shot. We watch the slow motion here. You can see that the motion, look how nicely he clips that coming through. I mean, don't get me wrong. It it drives me nuts because I, you know, I struggle with that, but it just, you know, like they could really up there, up there, try it, right? Just try it out. Get some, get some new bloods, the blood up there. And, you know, do you think, do you think something like um, that Netflix show they're going to do the, you know, F1 drive to survive when they have the, PGA tour version of that come out, that'll be more of that. Like, because if you listen to F1 announcers, kind of like the same thing, right? It's like, Oh, and he makes, yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. It's a great analogy because the, I, I don't watch F1 in the actual races, but I'm never going to miss an F1 drive to survive series because I find it fascinating. It's drama filled. It's like, you're always wondering what's happening next. And I think with, with the PGA stuff, 
I think they're going to, A, I think they're going to do a fantastic job because just this whole season with the drama that's been in there, it's already filled with drama. So they're going to have a shit ton of stuff to work with. Mm-hmm. But like, I think it's going to bring, that's going to bring in non-golf fans to watching golf. So getting back to it, they're going to have to do something to keep those fans watching because otherwise you're just going to have guys that are watching this PGA tour, make the cut or something, you know, and, and that's yeah. all they're going to watch. And, and I find also, I mean, can you imagine how much excitement around Tiger? Or do they well, have access to Tiger? Well, did he sign up? I don't know. They did say that they're on site this week, though, filming at the Masters. Mm. So, so they would have like full access. Can you imagine? Oh my God, that just made like that was that was that was my me getting a little excited over the the Tiger. Um, <laughs> Netflix. Anyway. I I also find like there's some care. You know, there's not a whole lot of. Let's be honest. There's a few guys on the tour with personality. Yep. But not a whole bunch. I, I think, guy, yeah. When you look at watching them play the, like how, how much does DJ want to play the Valero Texas open? And we talked about the match play, like how interested was he to play Corey Connors in the consolation oh my God. match? He, he, no, he, he did not <laughs> want to be there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but like I <laughs> playing for third place. That's yeah. just, that's just, nope. I and don't I, think you want to be there. It's not like he's, he's not a raw, raw guy to begin with, but not a lot of them are. So, you know, if but I think a t- lot of them are muted, right? Because you can't, you, you can't really go crazy. I think there, there's guys like, yeah. you got to say, say what you want, but Rory McIlroy is one of the best, well, like spoken guys on tour. Like he, he's genuine and he's honest and he doesn't cross lines. He doesn't, you know, typically piss anybody off, but at least he's goes on there and, and speaks his mind where I think I, you know, generally speaking, there's not a lot of great personalities in golf, but Christ, we could get six. No. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Faraday, Faraday, we talked with it. Faraday. He's unbelievable. I could listen to him all day, but he's got very limited sort of, I don't know, coverage or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Gary McCord, who's not allowed back at the Masters for his bikini wax comment way back in the day, um, he was great because he they're edgy, you know. He's great, but he wasn't great. Like they could have gotten they you, they could still get some Johnny Miller. Johnny was okay. You love him or hate him, but at least he at least he threw it out there. But hey, Phil Mickelson be good. You know, I'd listen to him if he was commentating the Valero. You know, like you can probably get out there and kind of, you know, shake things up a little bit, but you got to get guys out there with, with some personality. Anyway, um, what do you think of uh, Tiger shoes? Oh man. I thought it was a, I thought it was a Photoshop at first. Yeah. No. And I mean, no. I mean the, whatever the tweet tweet came out of just a him, a picture of him hitting on the range and within like, you know seconds someone had zoomed in and just yeah. dissected that and saw the little fj on the shoe and was like started you know the thread like it's unbelievable oh tiger scene wearing foot joy and then yeah, nike has to nike has to put out a statement on it to say you know we we understand he's recovering and we want to help him in that process so we will look in you know, whatever we they will said, work but, with him to find out what he needs right you know, so the, the, I was I was in the sim. Which there, yes. stock goes through the roof? Oh my god! The only thing higher than than their stock would have been the smile on Poli and Chris Irwin's face when they saw those tweets coming at them. Oh. The foot joy and oh my god! I I honestly I looked at them at the, the Poli. He was playing his match there yesterday as well. And anyway, he turns to me and he's got the phone and he goes, "Check this out." And he shows me it's just a picture of Tiger, like warming up or whatever. I'm like, 
what are you showing me? Look at his shoes. I'm like, yeah, they look like shoes to me. Oh, no, no, no. And then he kind of half zoomed in. I could see this, like, I couldn't even see what I had. To, I, I got it eventually. I'm like, okay, now I understand what the hell you're talking about. But um, yeah, that was interesting. It's, I just find it interesting that like, I mean, you know, Nike, the shoe company, man, <laughs> like <laughs> do, yeah. do what you're good at. It, and if you look at the history of Nike golf shoes, I mean, they don't look as they don't make like a, a very, I don't want to say stable, like the foot joy classics that he's wearing, right. Are very sturdy, rigid, solid, all leather, beautiful shoe. Mm-hmm. Nike seem more on the comfort side of it, right? More stylish, more not sneakerish, but in between that sneaker and classic golf cleat. Mm, fair enough. So I think he's, I think he's just putting them on because they're the most stable shoe right now for him. And he, you know, that's a. Everyone says this week isn't about whether he can play golf. Yeah, this is about can he walk the course for seventy-two holes if he has to. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt his swing is there, his wedges is green. He can do anything he wants there. Can his legs hold up for 72 holes? So Steve Anderson had a good point. And, you know, obviously he's a professional athlete. There's a first for everything. Right. Well, no, I don't know if it was a good point, but he had a point. Okay. And his point was like, why can't he walk? Like, that's a basic function of moving. You should be able to walk, right? Like, if you got to sit for a couple of minutes, sit for a couple of minutes, but you should be able to walk, right? And I kind of don't disagree. (laughs) Is this not all for kind of not nothing i mean yes the guy near lost his leg there a year and a half ago so obviously it's not just sort of like a simple fix but i don't know like the guy's in unbelievable shape he's been walking around for a while like is is it that taxing on the body to walk 72 holes or well 18 holes in a day in five hours i think it's a combination of the walk with the torque with this golf swing. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. it's just, it's his trail leg. So, you know, he's got to get up on now, that. Now, if toe. he was carrying his own bag, I'd say, yeah, you probably got an issue on your hands here, but I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like these, My- he's what, he's one of the best athletes in the world. You're telling me you can't, you can't walk. Oh man. I know what I'm going to feel like after walking 18 holes at, <laughs> after one round and i'm a tip-top athlete so you can only imagine what yeah uh, you know what you would have the inside scoop um what do you think what do you think what what would be the toughest walking course in pei and you're not allowed to say dunderay because i feel like that's far and beyond the toughest walk in pei would you agree mm-hmm. with that yeah. i mean and, and i'm only talking about distance between holes right because okay correct yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah sorry. yeah it's it, Toughest walk for me would probably be like Glasgow Hills. That's what I said. I said that to the boys and, 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 and again, Steve Anderson, he's just like, why is it, why is it that difficult? And I'm like, well, because it's very undulated first of all, like, and kind of like walking up, not, not even close to the same thing at Belvedere at 17, you know, but like on, you know, you finish off your 16th hole hole at Glasgow and you got to walk up that hill to get to the 17th tee, then you got to walk down to your cart or whatever, get your bag. Then you got to walk up and around and then down and then back up and then back down and then back up to the green. And that and, up to the green is bananas. And there's some walk between, there's some decent walks between holes on that course too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say if I had a, 
to carry and I had to walk, the one course I wouldn't want to go play would probably be Glasgow. And like I said, Dundray for me isn't, un, you know, it's got a few undulations. It's not crazy, but it's the distance in between it's, holes that gets yeah. you Dundray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's what I mean. It's the distance between holes on that course. But the yeah, um, toughest walk for me would probably be Glasgow. What, why, what, what did they say? I don't know. Well, actually, other options. I, 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 I mean, Crowbush is a tough, you know, could be a tough walk because of that same reason. You've yeah, got your Crowbush. undulations and everything. And it's just one of those courses that I'm always looking in my mind or I'm thinking in my mind when we're talking about the toughest walking course, which one do I usually always take a cart on? Right. Yeah. And, and that one is definitely like Crowbush is one that I typically take a cart on. Um, yeah. Glasgow, Crowbush, those are definitely gold bonds, gold bond three stars. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which what is the uh, recovery in the spa afterwards? Uh, let's see. I, yeah, I want. I need those. You know those things you see people put on their legs after they're like mini airbags. Yep. Yeah. I need. A, I need a set of those for the for the <laughs> month of May. What? Uh, um, so adversely, what do you think the easiest golf course to walk would be, or not easiest, but like most pleasurable walking course? One of them. Um, I find Stanhope pretty. Yep. Pretty easy to walk. Very tight tee to green. Yep. Few walks, but I mean, nothing crazy. Uh, Belvedere is an easy walk. I think, you know, yep. you get along there pretty quick. It's tight. Nothing too crazy. Not um, a lot of ups and downs, right? Like that's, that's, I guess right. what, what a good, you know, a walking course would be. It's like, there's not a ton of ups and downs. I mean, Fox Meadows the same way. I feel like um, actually, and, and Avondale is another one um, that's there. There's not like a lot of, you know, serious up and downs. Um, um there either so any of those ones are kind of you know what i mean i don't know glasgow i think would be like yeah number 10 you know you're going down and then you're going back up and that to be said like i, I love playing there because i think it's such a challenge and I, and I love seeing this different i mean you're that's the one thing glasgow is sort of missing right like you put that golf course anywhere near the water for a water view and it's just like it's packed all year i mean it's yeah. packed all year anyway lately anyway but that's what when they designed it they were like we need to have good views and they do they but it's because they needed to make it like slopey and up and down because you know you get on uh, number 11 um or 12 when you're walking down the fairway and you can see all the rolling hills and all the farmland of glasgow right or like of Gla when you're at glasgow hills um, 14 14 the par three that's, oh. a billy, that's a billy goat to get up oh yeah yeah exactly. every time i go play there for some reason you know we're playing the blues, the whites, whatever normal T deck. Every time I play there, for some reason, there's one guy in the group that on that hole has to be like, let's go play this one from the backs. The for no, <laughs> for no, for no reason. <laughs> you know, it's a long enough hole from the normal T deck that I we've been playing all day, but you're for talking, some reason, are you talking, you're talking 13, right? The par three. Yeah. Yeah. 13, the par three. Sorry. Did we yeah, say 13. 14 at the beginning? I did, yeah. That's the par five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So I just want, yeah, just to clarify. So, so 13, the par three, yeah. Get up to the blue, someone. There's one guy in every group. Hey, yeah. let's go play this one from the back. Oh, yeah. because because 180 downhill into the wind, not being able to judge the carry distance isn't tough enough. Let's go from 215. Yeah. Oh, I really want to hit three wood on a par three. That's that's what I came here for, right? This is what, we, that's, played, that's what we paid play for. And that's the hole where, you know, some, you hit, you hit it. And you're like, oh man, that is gold. Like I couldn't have struck that any better. And 
it's 50 yards over the green on the back of mounds or, <laughs> or down in the sand traps there or, that are, you can't even see the green when you're in them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I know every time I play there, one guy wants to play the back tee on that hole. Oh, you're not playing the backs anyway. That's weird. No. Oh, fair enough. Okay. I'm in the um, mid masters division, bud. We move like we move, we get to I move know all it about it. Listen, uh, actually on, on a, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here fairly soon because yep. I'm uh, I got to go back down. I got to finish off my Kanye West documentary. Have you guys uh, have you heard about this? Have you watched anything good lately? Uh, yeah, I watched. Um, I've been watching a show called Super Pumped. Oh God, yeah, I just actually that obviously hits home with me. I just started the first episode there the other day. Story it's, of Uber. It's really cool. It's pretty, it's a little over dramatized. At least the first episode for me was like guys a little, little, little much, but um, I think that's what he was like that Travis, whatever the hell his name is. Kalanick. Yeah. Kalanick. So how many episodes are you in? No spoilers here. All six. Oh, you got them all done. Okay. Fair enough. So will there be a Uh, season two or is it just like a mini series that's going to wrap up? I think it was just a mini series to take from the inception to when. Good. No, and that's all I. That's all you want. Like these, these, these series should have like a finite. Like this isn't a ten season Cosby Show thing that they. The funny, they, funny thing I always do, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this though, is that when I start that series, right? So you watch the first episode and you find Travis, his name and all that stuff. I'm on my phone within like 20 minutes, like Googling this guy, getting on his Wikipedia page to find yeah. out what. Ha- I'm almost spoiling the series for myself to find out how it ends. I try because, not to, but yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find out information on this guy to see, like, like you said, how accurate is this? So you go yeah. on Wikipedia and you're like, okay, this is what actually happened. And then you, I've always said to people, you know, people always uh, say they read, no, they, they read the book and then they watch the movie. Right. Most I, times, I, yeah. I'm the opposite. So you, I love watching the movie and then I'll go to the store and I'll look for the book of the movie I watched. This is shocking to me, like that you do something differently than everybody else. So here's my reasoning. Okay. So if I if I watch the Bourne Supremacy, Jason yep. Bourne, Matt Damon yep. action movie, when I go get the book, as I'm reading it, I'm visually uh, visualizing Matt Damon as his Bourne character, and I'm I'm visualizing in the movie when he goes into the the Russian embassy and takes down the guards and all these action scenes. I want to f- picture that the movie as I'm reading it. If if I read the book without the movie. I can't get a visualization kind of of what's going on in the scene and what's happening. Okay. So I always, I, I, your reasoning is sound, um, yes. but I don't like, they differ. They differ a lot. Yeah. Like you, you'll watch a movie and it's a very condensed version of what the book usually is. Yeah. So the book's 500 pages and the movie's an hour and a half. So, but I'll always watch a movie and then I'll go to the store and I'll look for the book. That's like, now a now a now a major motion picture, and I'll I'll get the book and then, but it kind of ruins the book because I know how it ends. So with this Kanye West documentary, it's called Genius, and it's J E I think E N Y U H S. That's how he spells genius. Okay. So what's interesting about it, and I am not a Kanye fan. Like that's a little you know his first album was good, whatever, but it's not, he's not someone that I would listen to on a regular basis. And I think he went batshit crazy here last little while, but um, what was really, what I love about this, it's only three sort of parts and they're all like an hour and a half each, but he, he had from before he was a star had somebody 
his buddy and they call him Cootie, I think on the, on the show, but he was recording him like give, like documenting him. And this was before he had a record contract before he had like anything. So, it, and it, and it was continuous. He, he recorded him all the time. And so you've got all of this like behind the scenes stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I think maybe, you know, halfway through the second, second one, but just like all of this stuff is happening while, you know, usually you only hear about this stuff after the fact, or they do a dramatization, like you're watching your Uber story here. I don't know. Like it's fantastic. It's, it's very entertaining and I I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Do you think they, he's, do you think Kanye told this guy, like, listen, I'm going to be a star one day. You start recording me now and it'll be good material. Or do you think his buddy was just bored and was like, oh, I'm just, this guy's awesome. I'm going to record what he says. A little of both. I think um, he, this, this guy was recording for, he was doing his own show. He was doing his own comedy and all this stuff. And then, but he recognized that there was something about Kanye that was a little bit special, I guess, like his, his, the way he was able to, he started off just doing sort of beats and, you know, for these rappers and such. And then, then he wanted to become a rapper. So like, but he was, he was really good. And everybody's now in second episode here is starting to realize that, you know, that this guy's got a lot of talent, but just sort of the process of, I don't know, going through it, like this is the early nineties and just sort of going through the backstory of how he got his first album, you know, released and such. But anyway, check it out. And I've done talking about that stuff because I don't like spoiling anything for anybody else. But anyway, uh, we should wrap this up. Uh, we've been going for a while. Um, yep. Enjoy the week, buddy. Enjoy the masters. Enjoy yep. the masters. Um, I don't know. I don't even have a dog in the fight. I'm sure that once I do, I'll probably post it somewhere, but Anyway, I hope everybody really enjoys the Masters, and uh, I can't wait for the for the next episode. Here, we'll we'll talk about the Masters that was. Hopefully, there is a two sixteen major winner with his oh. jacket on. It would be the best moment in sports. Like, and I it would know. just be trouncing his own other Masters victory in twenty nineteen. Right, right. right. <laughs> it would too. Yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah. real quick question: Do you think you finished top ten? Honestly. Love that answer. So do I. Let's go, Tiger. All right. All right. We'll see everybody next week.